Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Another day. Ah, another day. Isn't that great? It's Thursday. James, you feeling good? Feeling so good. You look look great. Thank you. No razors at your house? Nope. (laughs) I mean, no offense. Oh, of course not. I mean, no offense. Hey, uh... Big day uh, today, Thursday, President Abe Lincoln's birthday. Every Thursday? Every Thursday. It's Abe Day. Not every Thursday. Today, we're celebrating Abe Lincoln's birthday. That's true. Isn't that great? We got a cake? No. Is there balloons? You could go get us some candy. Candy machine. Just an idea. What do you get? What Joe kind Cannon's of candy is show. appropriate for Abe Lincoln's birthday? Um, well, I know we were going to play with Lincoln Logs later on. Um, Are we? Yeah, that was the plan that we were all going to get together. And yeah, I think I think we put the kibosh on that. Oh, we're really? Not doing that? What? Well, we I go, didn't get the memo. We can go in the conference room and watch the movie Lincoln. Um, you know what? Let's just not. Uh, here's the deal. Joe Cannon's on today. True. Joe. Is a student of Lincoln. Yes. So he's going to walk us through, you know, what we need to know. Like, we've, if you've seen Lincoln, you know a lot. Interestingly, by the way, wife had depression, mental health issues. He was a little depressed, depressive type of man, yet one of the greatest of all time. Tells us a lot um, about mental health. Last night, I had a really killer opportunity to go speak with a group of people all parents who have lost children they've all they've had children die sudden infant death syndrome stillborn uh. and i'm telling you honestly a great honor great experience because i learned that the amazing power people have to overcome they just you go through the biggest trials it's you know you're going to overcome you know maybe not everything you can't overcome everything. As I've been looking at the news, some of the political news, some things I'm not sure you can overcome. If you're Jeb Bush, for example, and you dump a bunch of emails out into uh, the world that happen to have a lot of people's personal information, you might be in trouble. That sounds like it's a, that's a problem. That might be something that's really difficult to come back from. Did he dump the emails on purpose? Well, in an effort, he says, in a spirit of transparency, I'm posting the emails of my governorship here that he put on his website. Some are funny, some are serious, some I wrote in frustration. Some also contain the email addresses, home addresses, phone numbers, and social security numbers of Florida residents. What? He didn't mean to say that, but that's what happened. Oh, no. He was trying to be transparent. He posted all these emails as a governor. Jeb, Jeb, Jeb. And lo and behold, there's a lot of very, you know, personal information now that kind of went out. But he said, in the spirit of transparency, I'm posting the emails of my governorship. They then reviewed the emails. Everyone who has ever contacted me via email. Yeah, in spirit of transparency, he should also release his social security number, home address. Yeah. Yeah. In equal play, I will now give you or, if my personal else, medical record. He should yeah. offer to pay for some, uh, you know, uh, 
what, the anti- some identity protection, identity yeah. protection yeah. for yeah. those protection. people. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Um, in the emails, some people that were sharing religious parables, praise of the governor's support of creationism, routine bureaucratic correspondence, but some emails appear to be highly sensitive or personal. Many, like the one that we're going to talk about here, share a tale of struggle. In somebody's email, it said, this is just a sharing today. I feel beaten down, want to help many, and hope that I can get there someday. Uh, Through my empowerment, it will be a testament to my message and the ability to share my future resources. It's a lonely road. So many seem actively against you. Your back is to the wall. You have many other two months of business. I I only have two more months of business survival or something. The person was very depressed. It was a very confidential communication. They're beaten down. At 37, I feel like 60. Hopefully tomorrow will be better. You know, this feels like the Sony leak with all of those emails, but without the hackers. Like this was almost as if Sony voluntarily released all of that information. It's it's more like – yeah, it was like kind of email suicide. Yeah. Why would you do that? Well, it wasn't suicide. It was a a massacre. Yeah. Anyway, you know, poor guy. He's – Trying to be transparent, but it didn't come out quite right, did it? Yeah. You know, I think running for, polit- uh, running for political office is a nightmare no matter what you do. Even if you're a, a seemingly, you know, you're the elect one. Like Clinton's, you know, supposedly on the road to winning, right? Yeah. By the way, hasn't even declared her candidacy. I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys know that. Yeah, but I mean – but it's inevitable, she, right? Yeah, she's Clinton, you know. So here's the dilemma: she can't raise money. She's struggling raising money. So what do you do? Don't you think that the moment that she announces her candidacy, though, that she'll just be able to just like steamroll it? That everyone's like, okay, here's take my money. Well, you but that so. that depends on who the backers are. Because well, if you don't, true. if you, I mean, you, I know a lot of people who keep saying, oh yeah, Hillary, Hillary, I'm you know Hillary, 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 Hillary. Yeah. But do those people have? Money, 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 money. Well, guess who has the money, 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 money in the Democratic Party is a lot of the – it's the Clinton well, network. Well, that would be the Heinz family. Well, and the Obama <laughs> network. But so some Mr. of the Kerry. biggest backers now are kind of battling Yes, mm-hmm. between Obama's backers and Clinton's backers. And Clinton is trying to shore everyone up to get behind her and they all kind of in front say that they are except they aren't necessarily as tight as we may think. So now you're the heir apparent and your name is Clinton and you still maybe can't get – and by the way, she didn't poll well in Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh-oh. She's she's you know she's still trying to, to apparently win over the Democratic Party. So everyone's not sold on Hillary either. Mm-hmm. So you know what I would suggest? Follow Hillary. Follow Jeb Bush's lead and start just re- sending out send some emails out send a bunch of emails of the people close to you she was in the obama administration she's got to have some really interesting emails she was secretary of state <laughs> put those out there yes she was secretary of state yeah full maybe, transparency maybe we could get some social security numbers of you know foreign people in the effort of transparency hey by the way did you hear about the xl pipeline uh what about it now passed congress passed the xl uh, pipeline okay passed done both now, houses no, well, yeah, apparently didn't the – I think the Senate proposed it originally, didn't they? I'm not sure. And so uh, the Congress responded. Now it's going to the White House. Guess what's happening though? I follow too many bills to you know, remember which one was This is the me. moment because this is one of the first times legislators have actually done something mm-hmm. <laughs> in a long time. And not to be rejoicing. negative. But now it's up there and it's going up to uh, President Obama, but he's probably going to veto it. He said he would. Yeah. 
But Willie, but Willie, he was that. See, well, there's a lot no, of bluffing going. Willie on. was a president a few presidents ago. Yeah, William Jefferson. Yeah, Obama. Obama's in office now. Right. Oh, is that, is that how that's working? Yeah, 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 yeah. Check this out. 270 to 152 vote. Uh, but here's the problem. They're still short of the veto proofing. Yes. You have to have two thirds to do yeah. that. So if uh, if the president, the good president vetoes this thing. Now, by the way, some of this is just symbolic, right? Because the gas prices aren't quite where they used to be. That is true. And a lot of people are complaining this may not create the job. But if you think they're not going back up to where they were, oh yeah. But some would even argue this: the Keystone XL pipeline. Those companies were making money. Oh yeah, hand over fist in some cases. I'll bet. In the end, here's the dilemma: it's all politics. And this has become well, the great symbol. But this is the first time we've actually had Congress start passing legislation, mm-hmm. right? In a long time. And the president well, now has to act on it. And now we're going to see – because remember he keeps saying, send me something, send me something. So now it's up there. We'll see what happens. I, I, I'd love him to start talking. Wouldn't that be weird? They've been passing bills. Sure. Well, not, It's just that it's not bills that the press wants to talk about. Right. Or I mean, bicameral that, and that, signed that, by the president. Yeah, and, but not that they should be talking about them either. Right. I'm sure that you know they're just – See, it's politics. But this, that's why we wanted to go But back. when are we going to run out of money again? Well, it, that's, the, that's what I want to know. Well, the neat thing about the great United States, we can just print more. We just make more. Well, I I know I run out, you know, because of, you know, four kids. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, in the end, in the end, it's not about what we always think it's about. We want to fight about the XL pipeline. But really, we need leadership. Who better to teach us leadership than Abe Lincoln? We're going to take a break. When we come back, Joe Cannon is going to join us, a student, a scholar on Abe Lincoln. He's going to teach us what we need to know about that great president. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Happy birthday, Abe Lincoln. Young Abe Lincoln by Johnny Horton there. That's a great tune. That's one you don't hear a lot. We pulled that out of the archives deep in Classical 89. (laughs) That's good stuff. Hey, on the phone with us is our insider, Joe Cannon. He tries to, to, you know, walk us through, maybe walk us off the Washington, D.C. ledge, help us uh, feel a little bit better about what's going on back there. Joe Cannon was the chairman of the Utah Republican Party from 2002 to 2006 and is currently the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, a nonpartisan organization dedicated to reducing the cost of driving your existing vehicle by opening up the market to cheaper fuels. But he's uh, also, by the way, was an assistant administrator at uh, at the EPA agency in 1983 and 1985, worked in President Reagan's, what do we call that, Uh, office? What do we call that, Uh, team? I don't know what you call that. Administration. Administration is the word. He helped with the election as well. But he's also just a really, a really smart man and has researched extensively uh, the great Abe Lincoln. So we're so excited to have him on the phone. Joe Cannon, welcome to the show. 
Hi, thanks for having me. I, I if I could just, I never want to disagree with a host, but I, I really wouldn't characterize myself as a scholar of Abe Lincoln. Well, the insulting lots of people out there, but I have read quite a bit, and I'm a huge fan. You're so not a, I, you're so not I a scholar. Yeah, I'm sorry, Joe. You, you're, but you again, if you've read more than everybody else, well, around us, you're a scholar. Okay. I mean. We, yeah, it's not a height. It's, it's not a height. And, and the chance there is a real scholar out there. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't want to, 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 you know, pretend I'm something I'm not. That's right. <laughs> hey, Joe, tell me about what what was your what was the draw to Lincoln for you? Oh, golly. Uh, well, first of all, happy Lincoln's birthday. Yeah, you too. And also, this year, and 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 unfortunately, in April of this year is the sesquicentennial of the assassination oh, really? of uh, President Lincoln. So uh, there's, there's a lot of history, a lot of things going on about uh, Lincoln. You know, Lincoln was just a great man. If you if you really look at all the presidents of the United States, and I'm sure I'm insulting a lot of people, and I myself have gone through, uh, you know, hero worship phases of Thomas Jefferson and yeah. James Madison and John Adams. But at the end of the day... There are two titanic figures that are in a category all by themselves, and that would be George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. And one was the father, and one was the preserver of the country. And uh, and I, so I've always wondered, how does a person become like Lincoln? I mean, how, how did not for anybody else, but how did Lincoln become like Lincoln? And really, it just turns out he was the right man at the right time uh, you can you can search his whole biography and lots of people have done psychoanalysis you know psycho psychoanalysis and, mm-hmm. you know thinking about him but, but you know at, at the end of the day his uh, his personality his brain his uh, his uh, capacity to lead and to deal with other human things all of that came to and his tremendous uh, resolution this is fierce fierce uh, devotion to the notion of, of, of the United States. Where, where did that come from? Well, it, it, uh, you know, today we hear a lot about education and the importance of education. Are we grading the right things? Are we right. teaching the right things? Lincoln had literally a few months of formal education. Wow. His education came through reading and experience. Yeah. He was a self-taught person, and he was consumed with the founders. He, uh, a hugely influential book in his life was Parson Weems' uh, biography of George Washington. There's, there's a lot of mythology in that, but it, but it, it, you know, I think he came to know and, and believe certain things about the character of George Washington that played a role. Uh, the Bible and Shakespeare played a huge role, uh, and and he he read. Uh, so so he was self-taught. That's amazing. I mean, is it because it really it would have to be almost and maybe maybe it was this influence of the book uh, on Washington. I mean, to to be studying that when there was so little history about the United States at that point, that's influential. Then the Bible, then Shakespeare and, and then just his, I guess, experiences growing up as a young man. I mean, he, he tried a lot of things, right? He failed a lot. He failed a lot. He uh, basically served as a state legislator, I think, a couple of terms, and he served as a U.S. congressman for one term, I think. Uh, and he he failed a lot of things, and he had a lot of heartbreak. I mean, you mentioned kind of in your intro that he was the 
you know, had depression, depression discouragement. He, he actually probably was seriously depressed, uh, especially as he got into the uh, Civil War time. Was but, it more him, or was his wife also depressed? Well, you know, uh, we could do a whole program on the marriage of, uh, you probably should. That's what Yeah, I mean, I think that would be fascinating. They, they were both depressed. Uh, it was a complicated marriage. Uh, a lot of people would say dysfunctional marriage. A lot of people have said a dysfunctional marriage. Hmm. But if you read through their letters, their taught, their, you know, what they said about each other, it's clear they really loved each other. It was a very fundamental relationship. And, you know, a, a part of one of Lincoln's components, how this figure is, I don't really know, but he lost his mother when he was young. He was like eight mm. or nine years old. And he was going to marry another woman, and she died. He had a, a lot of, wow. uh, you know, psychic, psychic, psychological, you know, body blows. Right. Um, and he had a, a, a rough complicated relation with his uh with his father well maybe this created the empathy right the the insight the awareness to care that would lead to all the great stuff he's done i mean it opened up compassion well i think one thing it did and this is just me you know based on reading reading you know quite a few books about lincoln is uh he was what what a lot of people would say would be inner directed, you know, an, an extreme introvert yeah. in the in the in the Myers Briggs sense. In other words, he drew on his own resources to uh, uh, you to find strength, mm-hmm. and uh, that resoluteness was kind of the indispensable element to seeing the country through this horrible uh, civil war. Yeah. Oh, isn't that? It's just interesting how. Um how people emerge, you know, in a, in a way that's kind of, and it converges with what is needed at the time. And it, it's almost like he was, you know, made, created, well, I, experienced. I, mean, I, personally, I might personally think that he was prepared for yeah. just such a time as that. He came to think that himself, by the way. Like oh, did he? That, yeah, that not, in a, not in an arrogant way, yeah. but that, well, gosh, maybe this is my job. And, you know, that. That it, so there is a lot of discussion. Was Lincoln a Christian? Was he religious? And you know, because sort of over the course of his life, if you pointed one, you know, slice here, slice there, uh, maybe he wasn't so religious or uh, identifying with a particular denomination. But it's clear in the arc of his life, he became more and more dependent uh, upon God mm. and the Bible. And you know, you look at. Uh, uh, his speeches were were not just shot full of of Bible quotes. But yeah. His last speech, the second inaugural speech, which is one of the most wonderful speeches, very very short, longer than Gettysburg, but still short, was a sermon. It was a national sermon attempting to bind together the country and bind the wounds, and you know, full of references to. Uh, to uh, Bible and to God, and what does God think about you know a civil war where both sides are praying? And, mm-hmm. and he sort of says, and both sides have got it kind of wrong. You know, he yeah. he he didn't just hammer away at the South. He said, you know, the North has blood on its hands because it, it reaped the fruits quote of of slavery. I mean, it was a yeah. it was an it's an amazing speech. Maybe, and, and of course that with malice toward none, charity towards all. Yeah. It was a wonderful 
spirit-filled religious sermon. That's what it was. Oh, I love that. I mean, that's the goal. I mean, we always fight about, you know, which faith was he, which religion was he, but if he's being inner-driven by a purpose that's, you know, in tune with spirit, then, you know, he's still going to live principle, and he lived it beautifully. Right. Well, I, I, my own view is he became more and more religious and finally deeply religious. And it also followed, again, one of the arcs of his, his life was, what did he really believe about slavery? Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot, a lot of debate about that, but it, it's clear that he always felt slavery was morally repugnant. Right. But he wasn't an abolitionist. He thought John Brown was insane. Really? Uh, it's, you know, his, view, uh, his view of it, he was a politician in a, in a yeah. really good sense, the art of the possible. So, you know, if you follow his thinking and his writing and his speeches, you know, he gave a great speech, A House Divided. Uh-huh. That was maybe, maybe one of the seminal political speeches that he, that he gave. And then later, uh, was, I can't remember, that was in the 50s, maybe. Uh, anyway, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a great speech later followed by Cooper's Union. I'll come back and talk about the Cooper's Union speech. But if you look at the arc of his views on slavery, a lot of it was, well, what can we do? Okay, well, we don't want to expand slavery, so it's not going to come into any new states. Uh, wait a second, what about territories? No, it's not going to come into territories. Huh? It's, it's always sort of what was the art of the possible. But even in that arc, as he became more religious, I believe he became much more deeply concerned about slavery, and that led him to do some That's know, politically phenomenal things. The Emancipation Proclamation yeah. and the 13th Amendment, those were evidence of his moral and political genius. Well, I, you know what? I, I love it. I, and I'm a big believer that, as, any, as all of us, get more closer to the Spirit. Emerson taught it. Uh, Thoreau, you know, the more, the more in tune you get, the more likely you are to probably hate an idea like slavery. You'd start to see the divine spark exists in everybody. And so we can't oppress. You can't do that. So powerful stuff. Let's take a break. We're again talking with Joe Cannon, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. He's our uh, political insider and uh, is teaching us today as we celebrate Abe Lincoln's birthday. We'll come back. More on Abe Lincoln right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Marvin Gaye. Wow. A little tribute to Abraham Lincoln today. It's his birthday. How many years is he? Sean, will you look up and see how old old Abraham Lincoln is? Very. Uh, let's go a little deeper than that. Okay. Um, on the phone, Joe Cannon, our insider, a political insider, and uh, not a scholar of Abraham Lincoln. But he has he, he done read more books than all of us. On Lincoln, and the main reason too, um, I wanted Joe to talk about Lincoln is he he. Anytime you have somebody that finally that that has studied and feels a connection to somebody like Abraham or Washington, I want to hear about it. I want to hear somebody that gets the inside scoop on Abe Lincoln, and our insider Joe Cannon's the guy. Joe, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks. 
I really. Was born, I, by the way, in 18, 1809. 1809. Yeah. 205 years old. Two hundred four years old. Well, Sean's figuring that out. Joe, tell us this myth. Probably two hundred six years old. Yeah. <laughs> what What's the biggest myth you wish people would stop spreading about Lincoln? Oh, that's a good question. Um, or is there a myth? I, you know, uh, Lincoln is sort of relatively close in time, so you know, there's there's. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot of mythology. He himself, you know, sort of promoted the myth, promoted the idea that he was a poor rail splitter, yeah. log splitter guy. But log in cabin. reality, he was. Yeah. He, he actually really was poor, and he really was a log splitter. So, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, he, he it was sort of his iconic way of describing him, you know, himself as a, really a, a man of the people, which which he was. Um I think one interesting thing about Lincoln, sort of, sort of not mythological, but looking at, you know, we talked last week about today's presidential election. Mm-hmm. The presidential elections were, you know, almost they were not, they were unrecognizably different than today. Lincoln never really campaigned to be president. Oh, really? You know, he, uh, he he wanted to have people helping him out at the convention, how he got the nomination. But no, he wasn't even there. No convention speech, no nothing. So his, well, one miss, not a miss, but you know, quite a lot of people believe the Lincoln-Douglas debates were presidential debates. Yeah, right. And, and, and they weren't, of course. He was running for the Senate. And even then, running for the Senate isn't what it is today, because the state legislature elected the Senate. Oh. But, and so there was not a popular election. Yeah, he only had to impress and, 30 people or whatever. Right. But, but, of course, those 30 people or 60, whatever there were. Yeah. They had constituencies, so they they had these Lincoln Douglas debates around the state, and they were long. I mean, not not like you know, it's a little soundbite things. They would give like an hour speech, yeah. an hour response. Oh wow! But but that those speeches, even though it wasn't technically a presidential race, that put Lincoln on the political map as as a as a Republican Party person. So the Republican Party is only a few years old. There had only been one Republican candidate for president hmm. before Lincoln and, and that was uh uh oh uh Sutter I guess. Anyway it was uh so he was the sort of the second presidential candidate in the Republican Party. Hmm. And those debates kind of distinguished him and people said, Wow, he, he can defend our principles, he's smart and so that got him uh, a big following. But the curious, not curious, in, in today's world, curious, the, the speech that really put him on the map politically and got him national recognition was the Cooper Union speech in New York City, which was just amplified by Horace Greeley, who was the leading newspaper editor of the time, and he became completely smitten with that speech. And that, But that was given in February of 1860. The year, the year that he got elected. Yeah, you know, so that's uh, yeah. You think he would very interesting. So he didn't go building this incredible. I mean, it's almost yeah. Today you have to spend a billion dollars and build this name recognition and this i this this money raising engine. And back then he's basically just. Well, there was there was plenty of money, probably not not in a good way, going back and forth in many elections. I mean, uh, we think political corruption is new today, but, <laughs> no. but it wasn't the same. You're right; it wasn't at all the same. I mean, he had to be informed 
whether he even won the nomination. He wasn't there. Right. No big acceptance speech. You know, he had to be informed that he became president. Uh, you know, and there wasn't a campaign trail. He had what are, you know were called agents out there, really pumping things up. And there were, of course, there were newspaper stories, and you know, there was a campaign of sorts. Yeah. But nothing like today. What What stood out for you as like? What are some of his greatest moves? What are some of his greatest feats? What stands out when you think of Abraham Lincoln? I mean, Civil so there, War. There are there are what I think are kind of two categories of things. One is his fanatical devotion to preserving the Union. Hmm. That was a really hard, hard thing, and it could have gone a lot of different ways. Yeah. Uh, and it, the fact that he stuck with that vision through the bloodiest war in the history of the United States. A uh, lot of discouragement, lots of sniping. People hated him. Uh, he was vilified, uh, you know, a lot. You know, we we think back, you know, uh, of the Lincoln we think of today. But no, he was he was he, he was his character was assassinated a long time before he was. He had troubles in his own party. Of course, all of his cabinet officers thought they were smarter than him. Yeah. Uh, and he just stuck to it. He finally got a general, a really interesting book to read, by the way, the, the, it's called The Memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant, and sort of seeing the Civil War through his eyes was really interesting. But, but he finally got a general who could win, who knew what it took to win, and they, they did it. So that was you know, his fanatical devotion. Now, he, he was going to keep the Union no matter what. The second thing was his passion eventually that culminated in freeing the slaves, mm. so that that. But if you, so, if you look back to his life, it's just one of kind of the short history. You read the House Divided speech that you gave at the Illinois State Legislature, which sort of kind of was the triggering speech when he ran for the Senate, um, and that's where he sort of maybe not first, but you know, kind of substantially articulated sort of the, the need for union, and also you can't have be half slave and half free. Um, but that's the House Divided speech, 1858. Then the Cooper Union speech in in, uh, in February of 1860, then the Gettysburg Address and mm-hmm. the second inaugural, uh, uh, all of those together give you you know now his speeches and writings are like nine volumes, eight or nine volumes long. I, I have those. I haven't read yeah. all the volumes, but but those speeches will and and will give you the insight into Lincoln, the, the who he was, what he was really thinking. What do you, what do you and, sense he would do today? So let's say he shows up at 206 years old, but looking great. <laughs> what, what do you sense he would say? What would he be, I mean, what, how, take his, you know, psyche and bring it to our system today. Well, in, in some ways, we have a similar system. You know, it's a very divided country. It's very divided, not not geographically, but around some kinds of, of issues. Uh, the left-right divide is very deep. And, you know, I don't know, that's a really good question. What would he have done? Uh, of course, I think he would be a Republican, but, you know, yeah. uh, he, he was the first Republican president. Uh, but, you know, he, his compassion, he... I mean, one of the biggest tragedies of his life is that he was assassinated. So, you know, yeah. he, he's inaugurated in March of 1865, and April of 1865, just a, a, a few days more than a month later, he's dead. Yeah. 
Uh. And the war and the war only barely ended at the same time. All these things happened within within a thirty forty days of each other. And his passion was to heal the country, to make the country come together again. He didn't want to treat the southern generals and soldiers as criminals, as war criminals. And so that that compassion reached out. And the tragedy is he was followed by a very small, petty. Uh. So don't, yeah, really rotten guy. So, so he stretched the country. Yeah, he stretched him, and then the the next president retracted. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's probably kind of we par for the course. For that. We might even be paying for that today. still. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Uh, yeah, what happens if you have three more years of of uh, Abraham Lincoln there? So I think he would have been. He would have thought of himself as a healer. He, he would have, uh, you know, he. He really was full of charity. He really didn't hate anybody. It's hard to find, you know, anybody that he would have animosity. Except hmm. the, the possible exception might be his father early on. Yeah. But uh, but you know, the whole idea was malice toward none, with charity toward all. I think that really those are almost his last his last public words. Uh, I think that really captured his essence. He could have hated the South. I mean, you know, yeah, he had, yeah. bloody, bloody war, both financially and just, you know, emotionally. More people were lost. More of our, more Americans died that were wounded in that war than all the rest of the wars put together that America's been involved in. And uh, so he, he, there was a lot of possibility for bitterness, anger, but he, he did. I don't think there was a spot of that in his heart. Uh. Well, he's a great, great leader and example. Um, I appreciate you going through this with us, Joe. I mean, I know you got to go catch a flight, but uh, really, that's it. I, I mean, is that how you'd leave it? If you had, if you had one, if you had one sentence, uh, what would you say? He was a great, magnanimous, charitable being. Hmm. That's it. We were lucky to have him, and uh, we we probably all need to live the words: malice towards none, charity towards all. Joe Cannon, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Fly safely. Again, the rest of us, let's keep celebrating uh, Abraham Lincoln. What a great uh, gift he was to our country. And now let's start living up to it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Come back when we come back. We're going to take a quiz, a president's quiz, up next right here on Sirius XM One Forty Three BYU Radio. Hail to the chief. Welcome back, everybody. All rise. We all please stand, President of the United States. It's funny how we've all come into the press room at the White House now. I don't. You know, it's funny. We transported there, I think. <laughs> that uh, somebody once asked, it was like a Johnny Carson episode. Mm-hmm. This is how old I am. I remember Johnny Carson. But he's, he's the guy but that I'm really made me want to be on air. Uh, but I think it was, you know, that, uh, you know, the guy that he'd always, the, the, he'd put a turban hat on and he'd. Karnak the Magnificent. Karnak the Magnificent. Mm-hmm. And they asked some question, but it was basically, so what is the song that, that, that they play when the President, president of the United States walks in? Right. And all I remember, because I was probably eight, seven. Sure. Is he said, send in the clowns. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Who was president at the time, though? It was probably Reagan. I don't know. You sure it wasn't uh, Carter? It may have been. 
I was young. Okay. Anyway, uh, today we're talking about um, Abe Lincoln's birthday. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, to have a guy called from his heart or his God to do what was right, go through everything he went through. I love the idea that he had depression. Mm-hmm. And there's no way. And so to me, that's pretty powerful. There's no way that didn't scope his ability to be president. I agree. So if anyone's out there in listener land, hey, we need everybody. It does, so if you're going through episodes like this, not that we need you to be president, but we might need you to just be a pretty awesome mom. We might need you to be the best school teacher you can be. And going through some mental health issues, it doesn't negate the chance to no, it does change not. the world or change your family. So, yeah. You know, that, the hypothetical question, if you ever have a time machine, where would you go? Mm. I, I would, where would, I would you go? love to see Lincoln. Lincoln's... Wouldn't that be fun to just follow yeah. him? Be the it, creepy yes. guy following him? Exactly. <laughs> Stalker. I, you know, if I could have a, if I could have a do-over, I'd love to see a few more years out of president. Wouldn't that be cool, President Abraham Lincoln? Yeah. If you could get a few yeah. more, mm-hmm. just see the impact that that would have had on the country. Uh, Sean's put together or found a president's quiz. So is this like actually? Yes, it, we it, have to figure out. No, it's just questions about different uh, presidents. I know. Okay, I'm horrible. Since President's Day is coming up, it's actually CNN's promotion of their of their uh, special that they're having. They're actually going to put six CNN anchors head to head. Yeah. On presidential trivia. On presidential trivia. trivia. And they're going to do that on Monday. Are they really? On President's Day, yeah. But see, the, I think it's I think it could be a fun show. I think it could be a great show except uh there's a lot of trivia. There is. Who loved to eat eggs with bacon gonna, yeah. every morning? They're going to do this for for charity. Okay, that's cool. Anderson Cooper is going to run the show, but I so think what, it, I what think are, it could what be are some of fun. the questions? Well, let's start off with question number one. How's that? Let's go with number one. Well, John Quincy Adams reportedly enjoyed daily skinny dipping where the White House Pond, the Potomac River, the Mississippi River, or the White House Pool. I think John it, Quincy Adams, the Potomac. And then they had to build a pond because you can't have your president right. running naked in the Potomac. Exactly. Did they build a pond? Uh, I don't know. I think that's where the presidential swimming pool came. But yes, it was the Potomac. Was it the Potomac? River. It was. Can you imagine just running down there in his robe? <laughs> that's great. All right. Who is the only sitting president to appear on Saturday Night Live and deliver the famous opening phrase, live from New York, it's Saturday night? Okay. It seems. Richard Nixon. Okay. George Bush. George W. Bush, excuse me, Barack Obama, or Gerald Ford? Interesting, because they've been on the air thirty years. That's, has it been? Um, I think more than thirty, but so I think it's forty. I'm going actually. with Barack Obama. You are. James? I'll go with George W. Bush. Well, I hate to tell you both, but you're wrong. Yeah. <sighs> it's Gerald Ford. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Who were the hosts Gerald then? Ford. I don't know. I, I don't know. It, doesn't, it would it have to be say. like Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd and those guys. Oh, well, oh yeah. The, the crew? Oh, yes. Yeah, How cool the, would that, that have been? That would have been yeah. John Belushi, Jane Curtin. They were awesome. Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, those guys. Mm. Now, though she was not from a majority party, who was the female candidate Ulysses Grant ran against oh, mercy. in the presidential election of 1872? See, oh, I did not know we had. Uh, I'm going to call her. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Melissa, Mel- okay, Melissa get, oh, Fawcett. Okay. Multiple choice, yeah. Uh, so, Melissa Fawcett, I think uh, predecessor to Farah. Oh, Farah's mom. Josephine Butler, Victoria Woodhull, and Jane Howarth. Uh, it's sister Josephine Butler. It's Jane Howarth. 
Everyone knows that. It's actually Victoria Woodhull. Blasted! Okay, you know, well. Oh! Not <laughs> even close. <laughs> okay, number four. The president doesn't pay rent uh, to live in the White House, but he does pay for something. What does he pay for? Vacation transportation, utilities, groceries, or gas? Wi-Fi. He pays for Wi-Fi. I bet it's laundry. It's it's he has a okay. That's not laundry. it's groceries. Neither of those is one of the <laughs> selections. He has to pay for groceries in his private apartment. Yeah, I'd say groceries. That is correct. Yes, all of his personal items get taken out of his salary, unless his groceries are on Air Force One. That's possible. Well, the nuts. Yeah. <laughs> then it's like the ten billion. Yeah, he doesn't have to pay for those. Right. Complimentary. Now, which president's mother jokingly refused to sleep in the Lincoln bedroom? Because she was a Confederate sympathizer. Mm. Herbert Hoover, Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, or Woodrow Wilson? Woodrow Wilson. Yeah, I'd say Woodrow Wilson, too. Nope. Mercy. Harry Truman. Really? Really? Yes. Number six, before he became president, John Adams defended British soldiers in what came, came to be known as the Boston Massacre, which African-American runaway slave was killed during the confrontation. Ignatius Sancho, Joseph Mountain, Edmund Fortas, or Crispus Attucks? Crispus. That's correct. That one I, I knew, actually, when I took the test. By the way, not to be confused with Chris Bix, which is a great series. Yes. Uh, now, one of the most famous sayings, uh, his most famous sayings was, speak softly and carry a big stick. Well, yes. What did Teddy Roosevelt reportedly carry with him in the White House? A rabbit's foot, a gun, a big stick, or a Bible? Rabbit's foot. Gun. Gun is correct. <laughs> Holy cow. I knew he was a hunter. <clears throat> he always had a pistol. He had, that, he? he had, you know, like a sidearm on him. That carry conceal concealed carry thing. Great. Okay. Uh, which president's father gave him a less than glowing review when he applied to Harvard University? <laughs> John F. Kennedy, Rutherford B. Rutherford B. Hayes, John Quincy Adams, or George W. Bush? John F. Kennedy. Yes, yeah, JFK. That is correct. Oh wow! His dad wrote to the dean that Jack has a very brilliant mind for the things in which he is interested. Jack's not always focused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, nine, which inventor brought in a new invention, a metal detector, mm. to help assist doctors in the care of President Garfield after he was shot? Alfred Nobel, George Eastman, Thomas Edison, or Alexander Graham Bell? Uh, who were they again? Last two. Nobel, Eastman, Edison, or Graham Bell? Edison. Graham Bell. It was not Edison. It was Alexander Graham Bell. <laughs> you're on. Oh, you're on. It, it CNN. didn't work because Garfield was laying on a on CNN? on a metal no, no. bed frame. I kill you, boy. I'm Last you. question: What did uh, Harry Truman get up at five o'clock to do every morning? A morning show, radio show, practice BYU the piano, radio. <laughs> read the Bible, write presidential correspondence, or running piano, Bible. Piano is correct. Oh, he would man. play for two hours. Wow, oh, wow, that's hard to live with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, there you go. Wow. Well, that combined, was... you guys got six out of ten. Wow, wow. We're, not bad. Not really bad. Not bad. Good. Really good. Well, combined, I got two out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that's sad. We well, don't know I mean, enough that, about that's, these people. That's very. That's. I mean, th this is trivial stuff about presidents. Well, but it's. But again, I mean, these people are humans. I mean, who gets up and plays the piano for two hours? If yeah. I played piano for two hours at five a.m., do you think You'd I'd be, be alive? <laughs> You'd be late to the show. I would be late to the show. <laughs>
Two hours of that. Um, again, can you imagine being the president, though, and having to share your – I guess they probably script it. I mean they, 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 they kind of script their history. You know, in Somewhat, a way, yeah. they do. I mean, they wouldn't sit there. Well, what he does, he gets up and he does these embarrassing things. They're not going to go tell you that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Now that's the trivia. The president that would be walks around the house in nothing but a robe, and yeah. <laughs> you know, with a coffee cup in his hand, and yeah. he, spends all day Saturday uh, what's, what's watching Congress, cartoons. What's Congress doing today? <laughs> Who's the president that woke up every Saturday morning and watched cartoons till four in the afternoon? <laughs> that would have been me. <laughs> <laughs> sad, sad. Well, uh, that's great stuff. And again, Marge, <laughs> Marge. Hey, uh, here's here's just a a little a little ditty for you. Um, did you I got to get this out because I can't what? I can't get it out of my head. What is it? Would you rather be a president of the United States Don't or have much time. a billionaire with a super yacht that is one billion dollars? They just built the biggest yacht of that. all time, a one billion. Dollar yacht, and the the question that comes to mind is, why this yacht? Because was it custom yeah. built for somebody? Oh yeah, okay, oh, that, that I understand. That. Yeah, but it's a one billion dollar price tag, and the sad thing about it is, it has to have its own, like uh, it has to have another ship well, boat that goes with it, just to kind of help it more and yes, get into these. Well, this is like as big as the Queen Mary or something, isn't yeah. it? It's the it's it would be in a competition. It's, you know, it would be, it's like a building. It's like driving, it's, you know, it's like floating in the Empire State Building. Oh, jeez. It's a big deal. 22 meters. Is that right? Introducing the world. It's called the Triple Deuce. Anyway, the boat will be 40 meters oh, longer than huge. the world's current biggest super yacht. It's crazy. It's got like five floors. Yeah. Helipad. Many, no, that's got more than, that's got like six or seven. A helipad? Really? Yeah. That's like a high riser. Uh, you know, or on that, the water. Is that like hella good? It's a helipad. <laughs> we're going to take a break. Uh, we're actually going to show Sean to the door. Okay. And <laughs> then we'll you'll have to Let do, him go take a nap. You're going to have to do a lot of the show by yourself. <laughs> we'll here. have to do it a lot by myself. Um, here's the deal. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, good stuff, my friends. We are going to be talking about uh, tech and your kids, how to protect them online. We've got a great expert coming up with some wonderful tools to help us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Hope we're helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. We try on this program to give you the tools you need to to make it through life. I mean, the crazy thing, we're all here, and it's not easy. And yet, in the end, there's so much information out there. We try to kind of push through it all, give you the stuff that uh, maybe is relevant, and some that's not, but just maybe makes you smile. Welcome to the program. Uh, stick with us. Have we got a great hour for you today? Today we're going to be talking. Um, we're going to get into some headlines. Then I want to talk about very basic kind of social media help. How can you help your kids 
you know, be healthy when it comes to social media. What are some guidelines? What are some rules? We have a wonderful guest, Amita Jane, will be joining us, uh, who has, you know, um, some insight and some new technology that might help us understand really what our children are doing. Then uh, again, we're probably going to get into some more headlines, have lots of fun, some insight in between. But before we get started into the technology stuff, Bob Simon died, a CBS News correspondent. Uh, tra- this is a tragic story. He's 73 years old. He's a 60 Minutes correspondent. I know, I'm sure, you may not know him always by by name and face, but if you saw him, I know you'd, you'd remember him. Uh, Bob Simon, a giant in broadcast journalism um, and a, a member of the CBS News family, passed away in a tragic accident. He was riding in the backseat of a, a livery cab uh, around 645 last night in Chicago on the West Side Highway when a car rear-ended another vehicle and crashed into the barriers separating north and southbound, uh, ended up hitting him, and uh, he suffered head and torso injuries and was pronounced dead at the hospital. The police were investigating. No arrests were made. Sadly, though, I mean, in, in contrast, as we've talked on the show recently about journalism and the impact of journalism, you know, and even, you know, versus the entertainment world, the media world. Bob Simon was a journalist, a true journalist. He was the real deal. Get out in the war, be, you know, be the correspondent. In fact, during the uh, war in Iraq, the Persian Gulf War in 1991, you may recall he was imprisoned and tortured by the Iraqi army with three of his CBS News colleagues, which he later uh, chronicled in, in the book 40 Days. He said it was the most searing experience of my life. And um, when you think about it, I mean, he's, he's been everywhere. He's, he's been on the front lines in Sarajevo. He was uh, there to cover the assassination of Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin. He's won Peabody Awards, Emmy Awards. He's been all over. So... Sad. It's a sad day. Again, a true journalist. And, you know, remember, journalists, they take it serious and they're here to help the rest of us, you know, make sure that that we're really getting the true story, the real story. So our, our best wishes go out to Bob Simon and his family. Um, it's uh, it's a tragic thing. Now, another not tragedy. Uh, Tiger Woods is out. He's he's done. Well, he says he's done. He says his golf game's just not what it needs to be. He's it's not he's not cutting it. So he's pulling himself out of the game and he says he's going to stay out until he can pick his game up. Uh, sadly, um, you never know how long that is. It's it's an interesting thing. We've again, we've talked about that on the show recently, just about the game and how hard it is for the for the athletes to keep their head up and in the game. But uh, he basically says he, he just shot his worst career worst 82 uh, at the Phoenix Open um, and was cut. So he's saying, I'm playing so poorly, I'm I'm out. Right now, he says, I need to work on my game and still spend time with the people that are important to me. My play and the scores are not acceptable for tournament golf. Like I've said, I enter a tournament to compete at the highest levels, and when I think I'm ready to compete, I'll be back. Or when he's eligible for the senior PGA. Yeah, man, let's just get real. When he gets to the seniors, come on. He'll rip it up. That's retirement. <laughs> yeah. The that's, money that's, that's there it. for you, just, just yeah. keep cashing the checks. He'll be you. back. Yeah. yeah. He'll totally be back. Is he embracing his fall? Like you see, I mean, at yeah. some point you have to accept that in your life that you well, made these poor decisions. Has yeah. he done that? I don't think so. I think that's part of the problem. Is And we talked about that. That's the idea that he's probably carrying it. And it's then it manifests in his shoulders, back, his mm-hmm. body. 
I mean, think of this. You're, he was so awesome. And now he can't even qualify? Yeah. yeah. He, he lapped the field with the Masters. Yeah. You know, they, they changed the Masters course because of him. They tried to tiger-proof it. <laughs> tiger-proofed you <know>? it. <laughs> and, I mean, the, the changes he caused and because of him, uh, it changed golf all Forever. around the country and all over the yeah. world. And then, you know, one fateful holiday crash. Yeah. Really, that was such an exciting era, era though. That you know, when was it a I crash remember, or was it an attack with a golf club? Yes and no. It depends. <laughs> there's there's multiple different accounts. Yeah, depends on the account. Yeah. But it really is. No. James, what were you saying? Oh, just that was such an exciting era. I, I just I remember when he was going for the Grand Slam. Oh yeah. And then he he didn't quite get it, but he technically got it because yeah. they're in two different years and everything. And uh, it's just so cool. It I, made me watch golf. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Really exciting. You know, now, it really, it reinvigorated golf. Now I'm all yeah golf eh. my wife looks over she are you gonna listen to that again and I go, what listening it's right there on the tv and she goes it's so boring no <laughs> all you hear is birds chirping like, it's kind of peaceful you know but yeah the minute you can hear birds chirping it's just but interesting. you turn on he's not in contention eh. nope. it's yeah. not not interesting but it's also interesting that he pulls himself out like i mean a lot of people wouldn't do that yeah do you oh. limp to the finish yeah you know, in fact do you know when to call it quits speaking of limping to the finish do you hear about carmelon this is crazy Carl Malone, apparently Carl and Kobe didn't, they weren't best of friends. No way. Yeah, you may not know this because you've done a lot of sports in your day. <laughs> They're not the best of friends. So on an interview um, the other day, Malone basically says, look, I hold no grudges against Bryant, but, you know, for how the friendship was soured. But uh, he said, we had a little issue, Malone said. Listen to his language. I don't hold grudges. I love Westerns. I'm old school Western. Back in the day when you had a beef... You didn't go get guns and knives. We just go in the back with no cameras, and we knuckle it up. We get it over with. Go fight it out, and you're done. And then he said, "Then he said, it's a standing offer. Look, I don't want trouble. I, no, I don't want no trouble. I don't have a problem. People say whatever they want to say. That's great. I'm 6'9", 270 pounds to be exact. I'm not hard to find. To be exact. I don't want no trouble. But if something got to go down, I'm not playing fair. He's calling Kobe out, man. So he's going to fight, and he's going to fight dirty. Yeah, if he has to. Okay. Just if Kobe goes dirty. Right. What do you think Kobe's thinking? I'm going to take this dude. I'm going to get him. What do you do? He's probably like, I'm injured, I'm in rehab, I'm fine. you just been called out by Carl Malone. That sounds like something that's going to be on pay-per-view. Remember, Carl Malone was on pay-per-view. Yes. As a wrestler. Yeah, he was in WrestleMania. Oh, man. Purple pants. Do you think they'll go there? Yeah, with Diamond Dallas Page. <laughs> Sean's in the background forming the diamond sign. Kobe will laugh it off. Yeah. He does. People say things and he just goes, you know, no yeah, big deal whatever. moves on. He, he tries to think that he's bigger than this, but you can see it bugs him. This kind of thing. But, yeah. but he, he's countless teammates have had a hard time. He couldn't get, you know, get along with Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. They had they they were going to win multiple titles and they just it didn't happen. Shaq just moved on. So then they tried to make a super team. Yeah, Brennan, Gary Payton, yeah, and, and Carl Malone, and then they went to the finals and lost to the Pistons. Yeah, because they couldn't get along. They weren't couldn't a team. Figure it out. Yeah, they should have fought then. But a lot of it has to do just Kobe has to be the guy, and he can't let other people step in and have any sort of limelight. He just <laughs> it's it's ingrained in him that he has to be the guy. So it totally is. Yeah. And by the way, do you even know what it's about other than that? Is it? There was, it seems like there's, there was some comment made by rumors. Malone supposedly about Bryant's wife or yeah. something. Yeah, there's rumors about things. Apparently, they lived all in the same 
area in California. Neighborhood they lived in the same possibly. apartment complex. There was like a cul-de-sac or something <laughs> that a bunch of people lived in, and it just building it number back. building F. Yeah, they so, all lived in some <laughs> complex. It was bad. They they'd all go down to the pool in the afternoons after practice, and then somebody started talking smack. Anyway. So be watching for it. So he's going to fight, and he's going to fight dirty. If he has to. Okay. You know, I mean, he's, you know, if it gets, I don't want trouble. But if something's got to go down, I'm not playing fair. James said the same thing yep. to me the other day. Cool. Which I thought was rude. Well, he's upfront about it. I don't want to start anything. But, well, I'm glad we're know. getting it out now. Yeah. Because I, I don't want in like 20 years, how many years has it been? 10 years? Yeah. I don't want in 10 years that you come back and start talking smack. Well, you know, I let's am, go western. I'm five nine and a half. I'm 150 pounds to be exact. <laughs> <laughs> to be exact, yeah. I appreciate the, I appreciate the stats update. <laughs> By the way, I'm five ten and a half, and about 192, four, 196. To be exact, <laughs> depends on the day. <laughs> depends on the day. Anyway, good stuff. Good stuff. Pretty cool, Terry. Thanks for the insight. Uh, we're gonna take a break. When we come back. We're going to be discussing parental spying on social media. Should you be looking in on your kids' social media? We're going to give you some tools and some advice on that. Amita Jane will be joining us right here on the Matt Townsend Show. We're back, folks, for the Matt Townsend Show. It's 19 after the hour. And uh, have you ever sat there and felt like, man, my kids are smart when it comes to technology? They're so tech savvy. And as parents, a lot of us, we don't have a clue what we're supposed to be doing with their phones. How should we be protecting them? And yet with endless social media apps like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, the children are communicating with hundreds of people and I promise, you know, a lot of times they're doing stuff, they're saying stuff, they're seeing stuff that they probably shouldn't be seeing. And uh, so how do you monitor that? That was the question we had today. Today joining us is Amita Jane. She's the mother of two and co-founder of the website Teen Safe. Now, Teen Safe, is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a site you pay for. So I want you to just know that. You, you, you pay for the service, but it's a monitoring solution that works without modifying your child's phone, and it allows parents to monitor their children's text messages, location, web browsing, contacts, and call logs. She's the co-founder and contributing author uh, for Technology.com, a resource for news, tips, and inspiration for parents and teens. She's also the chief spokesperson for the, the Teen Safe and Teenology um, uh, you know, programs. So we, we want to welcome her. Amita Jane, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Matt. I'm happy to be here with you today. It's great to have you on. This really is. This is a big concern I have. I have five children. Uh, I think we have six phones in our home being used, six mobile devices. And my big concern is I have yet to find a really effective way to manage all of my kids. I mean, I have uh, these kids under 18 and I want to make sure they're safe. Well, that's the wonderful thing about TeamSafe, Matt, is you can monitor all five of your kids and all of their devices in one subscription to TeamSafe. Oh, really? So, yeah, and it is a seven-day free trial, so you get to check it out, feel it out, see if you like it. 
And then after that, it's fourteen ninety five a month. So, you know, for your five kids, if you were to break it down, you know, you're spending probably what twenty cents yeah. a, a yeah. day, a day on your child. So that is nothing for your peace of mind and knowing that you're living up to your number one responsibility, which is to protect your children. Now, now these kids are. It seems like they'd be. They'd be pretty irked if they found out I was spying. So let's talk about that for a minute, the spying side of this. I mean, again, as a, as a relationship coach, I'm a big believer with our children. We need to be safe, right? And, and spying, you know, I think if you're getting the signs that you need to, it's probably an important thing. So do you think, I mean, should we make this more overt and tell them we're doing it? Or do we well, just like keep it on the lowdown? Yeah, I'd like to step back a little bit and let's just talk about our intent as parents. Yeah. If you're going to come at it as spying, well, then you're spying. But if your intent is to protect your child, to help them navigate through, you know, if your child is eight, it's it's kind of simple. But as they grow older, the subject matters really escalate into much more. So what is your intent? Your intent is to protect your child and help them navigate from preteen to 18, yeah. you know, until they go off on their own. And they don't have the capacity to deal with so much of what's coming at them. And we also want to protect them from themselves because the judgment portion of their brain hasn't fully developed. So that is why we need to monitor. Yeah. And that's what I like to call it. I monitor. like calling it monitoring. I do see yes. it. And, and I yes. totally agree with the idea that, I mean, if I if I was sitting next to my child, they're and they know they're doing something inappropriate or wrong, um, or they didn't even know it. But I saw it because I was sitting right next to them. We could Im- we could impact it. We could talk about it. We could change it, or they may change their behavior knowing that there is some monitoring going on. So to me, it's it's kind of a win win. And it also it just seems like I mean I know kids that that would never uh, let you get away with it because they would they well, they'd ruin savvy. your day. But they need to. Yeah. But, you know, it has to happen. It's got to be mandatory. Um, What I'd like to see is when your child first gets that iPad or that iPhone or Android, and, you know, children are getting phones as early as eight, nine years old, um, as early as second, third grade, Team Safe should be part and parcel of the course. And we should hand them those phones saying this is a privilege. And with that privilege, it is my job to make sure that you're protected because the oh, sure. world uh, becomes, you know, available to them. So we have to not only protect them from everything that's coming at them, but since we're you're still learning, we have to protect you too. Yeah. So that is what that's what we need to do with the little ones, and then with the ones that are uh, older, like you know, you know, people who have children in high school. They're already searching for something like Team Safe if, if they feel that something is up with their child. So yeah. I love I love Team Safe because what I think it does is it finally allows us, it empowers us parents to, you know, do something. When my children um, were younger and when Team Safe came about and I had handed them those smartphones, I had no idea what I was doing. I was so naive. I was right. so naive. And, and it was for simple things like forgotten lunches and pickup times, you know, coordinating soccer, piano practice, very simple. And as they grew older, um, I, that's what I realized is, wow, you know, the cyberbullying, the sexting, all of this is prevalent. It plagues our children. And um, if we're not there to 
be that uh, guardian angel in their digital world? How will we know? And that's what I found. I found that I was very much in the dark when it came to their digital world. I had no idea who they were texting. I had no idea what was being texted back to them, who their friends were on their social media sites. I mean, it it really is. It seems like we've reached a point where we have the ability, the technology, to even create more accountability and better conversations because we can monitor. And yet it almost seems like we sometimes still live with the psyche that they don't, we don't need to be monitored, except, you know, 30 years ago, we didn't have a device in our 8-year-old, 9-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old's hands that could cause as much damage as our current smartphones. Well, and that's the thing. Uh, it, times have changed, and we need to change with the times. Right. You know, when I think about our kids, you know, from uh, being pregnant to, uh, you know, their infancy, toddler stages, we we do so many things to protect our children from prenatal vitamins to, you know, doctor visits and uh, knee pads and elbow pads when they get on a bike or a floaties when they get in a pool. And when they get behind the wheel of a car, you know, it's the, it's the permit. And, and then we have the, the law to make sure that they're stopping at the stop signs, not running red lights. Yeah. So we have all these things that are in place. But for the most important device of our time, we have nothing, nothing. until no. now. Well, and and you know, it could, so, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say that TeenSafe, what we, I love about TeenSafe, it is the most comprehensive device and the most technologically advanced um, software that there is out there today. So with TeenSafe, you really are getting a comprehensive idea of where your child is at in their social media world, how they're handling their relationships, what they're posting, is it healthy? And, you know, that's what opens up those lines of communication because that's how our children communicate now. What, what happens um, when this turns into, you know, marriage safe? So it's, so it's no longer about – because I sit there and I think – I mean, I could see a lot of my clients say, oh, there's a great app that I could track everything that's going on my my husband's phone. I mean, I guess that's that's the risk, huh? No, not with TeamSafe. Can you protect TeamSafe against is, that? Well, TeamSafe is for um, parents with children under 18. So that is what TeamSafe is for. And if, if that's your game, then – Please look elsewhere because yeah. this is not. Uh, yeah, this we're not for you. Right. Uh, but, and so, and we will. And if if we find you abusing our system, we'll make sure we shut you down. And um, yeah, is yeah. it? Uh, I mean, I one of the great principles I I believe strongly and teach a lot to my clients is just the principle of transparency. And yeah. we, I mean, to have the to have the transparency of your phone and all of your texts, it really takes pressure off the teen too, because they know there's going to be an accountability. I also think it's a powerful tool that could probably create some important conversations. Absolutely, it is a conversation facilitator. It opens lines of communication. It absolutely creates transparency, and that is what we've. Uh, seen, witnessed from our customers that have called in and have given us so many amazing stories of how it's literally changed families' lives. Because you know, with your five children, we're only as happy as our saddest child. And so when one child is off, really the family is off. And, and that's what we've discovered is, you know, 
we have parents from all over, you know, divorced dads, single moms, uh, just, you know, parents concerned about their children and they're, they're starting to withdraw or their grades are slipping and they know something's up. And even though they try and they talk to their child, they're not very forthcoming. We had this one dad that experienced just that and he went online, found Team Safe, and within a few short minutes, uh, his fears were confirmed. Yeah. He was being uh, severely bullied. What was so great about Team Safe is that now he's got that proof in black and white. Yeah. It's right there. It's n- undeniable. And before you and I, when we were growing up, it was he said, she said. That's now right. it's, it's black and white. And so that is a powerful tool to have to uh, have those predators back off. That's right. And it can say, yeah, it, it's more efficient. Yeah. Now, now you can kind of get to the issue get to the uh, the real the real topic, the real thing we need to discuss. Uh, let's talk about it. We're going to take a break, come back, continue this discussion with Amita Jane and this website um, th- that really, I mean, it's, it's teen safe. And if you could sit there and know that you could in a still, you know, monitor, understand what's going on with your children and then increase more conversations, increase their safety, it's a powerful tool. We'll get back and talk more about this right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> it's funny when we play a song like this. Everybody starts bobbing their heads. You look like a bunch of bobble dolls. Hey, uh, welcome back to the show. Today we're talking about, you know, parental spying on social media. And, I, you know, I can hear what a lot, I mean, a lot of you, I'm sure, aren't liking this idea that we're going to spy on our kids, except... When you need it, right? So go back to the age-old issue of the mom reading her daughter's diary. But she doesn't just go read it for casual reading. But when her daughter seems depressed and is in a funk and is withdrawn and is starting to uh, hang out with different people and, you know, going dark, then you'll read her journal. Up to then, shouldn't read her journal. The, the crazy thing about social media, technology, texting, it really would give you some powerful insight. And yet it also could blow the trust if you if you aren't if you're doing it to spy, as our guest has taught us, versus doing it to monitor. There's a difference. And I also think we need to inform our kids that this is how we're going to play the game. This is just how we're going to do it. Um, and then talk about it and start creating the discussions. Our guest is Amita Jane, and she is one of the co-creators and uh, co-founder of this the website Teen Safe. It's It really is. I think it's a powerful tool um, for parents to help us, you know, maybe have a, an, at least an advantage uh, with our children when it comes to social media. And yet it's also something that we hear about in uh, in all of the news, all of the government spying on us and everyone's upset about us, about it. It is, we're living in a different age, folks, where our information is more out there in a way that it never has been before. So we so appreciate you being here. Again, Amita Jane, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned this, spying. Well, 
you know, what the government does is so different than what we are doing between, you know, myself and my own child. It's, right. it's a completely different ball game. And the thing is that everything that we do now with it, whether it's texting or an email or posting something on a social media site, it's permanent. And that's that's really hard for a child to understand because their decision-making, uh, goal-oriented thinking, their judgment, impulse control, none of those are fully developed. Right. So they don't realize the permanence that's out there. So as, as parents, and it's not easy being a parent, so for all of no. those that judge a parent for taking the step to monitor their child's digital world, um, yeah, that's not easy. It's that tough mother love. It's that tough father love. But we have to do it because we'd rather have our child safe than uh, harming themselves or harm being done yeah. uh, to them. So we'll take the measures that we have to take to protect our children. Well, and there's a and, spectrum here, right? I mean, there's the spectrum of <clears throat> just of, of me creating an empowered relationship with my child who isn't yeah. developed enough to handle this tool fully. And I can't necessarily wait for them to develop because that's about 25, according exactly. to the research. So I can't wait yes. to give them a phone till they're 25, and yet they need to earn it. And we're going to do that with accountability. And I think the key is with using your tool is you set up a really strong conversation up front. It's very clear what we're doing. Now, that's one. this is one way to do it in a very empowered way. And we all, everybody knows that there's going to be transparency. And... We're going to follow up on it. I'll look occasionally. I won't be looking at it every day. Honestly, I don't want to hear what you're saying to your teeny bopper friends, but I will follow up. And then when I see something I'm a little concerned about, we'll talk about it, and then we'll correct it. It's not a big deal. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end is where you almost have to insert – this. it's the reading of your daughter's journal, and it ends up being okay because you just saved her from suicide or you just (laughs) saved her from – uh, uh, you know, a person that's been, you know, trying to get her, uh, you know, get her to do stuff, a boyfriend that's trying to get her to do stuff that she doesn't want to do. And I mean, you can use these tools in healthy ways. And, and, on, and I can, as a yeah. parent, I can see it. I can also see the concerns. And yet you're saving your child a lot of times here. Right. You're to use team safe. It's meant to be used with love, respect and thoughtfulness towards your child. And that's exactly what you've just said. It's about helping them get from preteen to 18, barely, barely unscathed, if at all. And that's that's what we want. Um, we're just here to help guide them. And we can't do that if we're in the dark. And um, and we, we we are in the dark if you don't have visibility into that social media world. So you're. So, you know, you've got to be friends on their, so you've got to follow them on yeah. Instagram, uh, be a friend on their Facebook page, ask for passwords, set standards in the beginning. And that's why I'd like to see uh, TeamSafe become part and parcel of the course for when your child first gets that phone. And for all of us who are kind of late into the game, you know, you can absolutely have that conversation with them saying, listen, honey, I got to start monitoring you because this is the stuff that's out there. Or if it's better for your family to use discretion, you know, that's completely up to you and and your family. You know your family best. So I would definitely say regardless of how you go about it, you must, must monitor your child. And children, what they're doing is they're, they're so naive. You know, they're posting their school. They post where they live. Predators get to know who your child is, who their likes and dislikes 
So I always like to tell my children, if you don't want to see your grandmother, or if you don't want your grandmother to see it, then don't post it. (laughs) Right, right. You know, um, don't uh, don't post a picture of it. So that's kind of like the standard in my household. Well, that's a great – that really is – that's a great standard. And two – um, when you look at it, uh, it this this relationship's going to go two ways. If, if they sense you're using it inappropriately, you're going to lose trust. Yeah. If they sense that you're using it with love and honor and respect, you're, they're going to gain trust and respect for you because they'll sense you're really there to protect. And so, it, it isn't that interesting. In the end, like you're saying, if it's a, if it's done in a healthy way. It can mm-hmm. be such an additive benefit, even if you had to, you know, do it in a more you know, discreet hidden, way. cloaked, a discreet kind of way, and yet it can still be done out of love and um, and and in a powerful way. Talk about the apps. So so again, the yeah. website's called TeenSafe dot com. You you'll give a free trial for a week, but then um, you have it's about fourteen ninety five a month to monitor all your phones or all your devices. All what, your what, children what, and, and on the site. I mean, what does it monitor on a phone? What? So uh, you can see their incoming and outgoing text messages. You can see their deleted text messages. You can follow their WhatsApp and KickChat sessions. You can even see their web browser and see their web search history. We had a dad who um, found out that her daughter was uh, searching cutting sites. Children seem mm-hmm. to be cutting themselves these days. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, you can see everything on there. Uh, phone location, so you know your child is where they're supposed to be. You can look at their call logs, their contacts. You can track conversations. The amazing thing is that you don't do not jailbreak your child's iPhone. We're the only ones that don't uh, require you to break that Apple warranty. You get a seven-day free trial. It's fourteen ninety-five. Hmm. It uh, it's just an amazing tool. We've had such great feedback. A, a single mom who's got two. Jobs, uh, got team safe, and she says what's happened is that it's actually helped kind of um, parent her child. She's noticed that her daughter is actually handling her uh, life really well, her social media life really well. It's loosened the reins. Yeah. It's created more trust between them. So it's really amazing. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that we most recently became um, members of the National PTA. So together, alongside the National PTA. We are bringing team safe to every school yeah. in America so that all parents can um, take part in this great tool. I mean, it's really an amazing resource to have. Well, and I, and I, I you know, as a dad, again, it's I've, I've actually been looking for a way to create that principle of transparency. And yet uh, it's it's such an elusive thing, especially when the kids know the technology so much better than than the rest of us. So we appreciate you, Amita. Uh, it really is. I think it's it's a, it's it's a tool, folks, out there in Parentville. It's something you can use. And again, as as Amita has talked about, you've got to use it with love. You've got to be careful uh, because in the end, it's going to create it's going to create a lot of different um, conditions that you're going to have to deal with. It also can save you to have information. Information is power. And uh, let's do this. Let's take a break. Come back. I want to discuss this more. Some of the some of the rules behind how we go about connecting and relating to our kids in a trust building way. Um, sometimes you have to know, though. So how do you balance your need to know and their need to grow? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. What an interesting uh, tool. I, ah, I'm so conflicted with the idea, yet I get it. I totally get it about you need to protect your kids. And uh, I, I think what this is a, a pretty good example of is as we are moving on in the tech world, we are finally um, having to probably deal with some of the psychological, the emotional, the relational impact of all of these advancements. You know, before, really, honestly, when I grew up uh, in the 60s, not 60s, 70s, 80s, the worst thing that could happen to me with my phone is I could call 911 and they'd come get mad, or I could have the cord wrap around my neck and suffocate. That's about it. That's as bad as it got. And now we hand these devices that have full access to the entire world. We would never send our children to the red light district in uh, in Amsterdam. And yet my child in his bedroom can pull out a phone and access virtually the exact same thing. Right. So, Or go on a tour with Google Street View. That's right. Just go walk down the street. <laughs> Actually, that would probably be safer than other things they could find online. But um, so we have to – I really believe we do have to monitor and yet – I can just tell people are going to freak out about the idea of using a tool like that. And I also am a big believer it would probably begin with husbands and wives that don't trust using it on each other. Um, and yet we also have a responsibility because, you know, you can you as parents will get in trouble if your children are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Right. If all of a sudden you find out that your child was sexting and, and sending those pictures, by the way, child pornography, and then your child is charged or could be charged. So do you, do you wait till the kid does something wrong before you look, or do you just preemptively try to monitor what they're doing? Isn't that that there's the problem? So how do we solve this, folks? We are now trying to deal with issues that uh, that demand a whole different type of relationship, that demand a whole different type of, I think, responsibility and communication, and I, I'm worried that we're woefully un, unprepared to have these conversations and right. to build this. So again, if you're going to use a tool, we're not advocating that tool. There's other tools I'm sure out there, but that is what's out there, my friends. And one of the things I guess I would watch out for is you can't, you cannot, this is my favorite quote from Gandhi, you cannot talk your way out of something you behaved your way into. So if I use that tool, a behavior, and try to just convince you that it was love, it's going to be hard to convince that. If the person doesn't feel loved, you're not going to be able to use the tool and then say, I was just doing it because I love you. Yeah, you can't sneak it in and go, oh, I was trying to watch out for you. At some point, it's you got to Are you aware of what's on your phone so much that someone could do that and you wouldn't know? Yeah. You know what I mean? Can, I, could they I, sneak an app on there and you wouldn't have any idea it was there? No, no. I'd know. I mean, unless there's a, some way that you hide it. I guess if you have thousands of apps on your phone, but yeah, you but, just get lost in there. And more importantly, honestly, I don't even see a problem with bringing your spouse into the whole equation. No. Let's just put the whole family on it. Yeah. And the mom and dad have the... Well, that, that would be probably the best way is then your kids could see that you're yeah. in there also, so it's not just you Feel coming down to Feel free to check mine. It's, you know, what's scary. Um, 
once we once trust goes low uh, and, and trust starts to drop, a lot of times stuff goes underground, right? So when we don't trust each other, we have to start hiding it. But what do you do when you can't use your phone to go underground anymore? Where do you go? I mean, are there even pay phones anymore? Are there? I haven't seen a pay phone forever. Maybe at a library. How do you start sharing some of this? Be, yeah. the, I think the reality is, is there's no perfect solution, but um, but the relationship. So, <sighs> some rules, I guess. Do you, is it better just to set rules and here's our expectations rather than like an app like this? Well, I think the app like this again. When is this child, like a, a last resort sort of thing? I you think I I actually like it more as a as just the monitoring tool for our technology. I, I would do it up front. And, I mean... Well, the easy way is you get your kid a dumb phone. Just yeah. like a flip phone here. I know. I know, but see... There's the easy part. But if you get him just a flip phone, his thumbs aren't going to grow like the rest of the kids. Right. You need his thumbs to get bigger and bigger. <laughs> There's a skill there they have to build, yeah. yeah. If he, and if he doesn't have the skills, you know there will be a day that he'll just never be able to have a job. And then he'll look back and say, thanks, Dad. You it's totally, your fault. If you had just given me a smartphone and let my thumbs grow. Anyway, it's pretty bad. Let me give you some ideas. Again, this isn't a perfect list, but it's all going to come back to relationships. You you aren't going to get more out of your your relationship with your kids. The technology is not going to bring you any more safety than also your ability to have a relationship with your kids. You still have to know how to connect. And um, and I'm afraid, honestly, when it comes right down to it, if you feel safe just because you have an app, you're in trouble because there's more to life than an app, right? I mean, I know people that feel safe simply because their children go to church with them, and yet they're having problems. Um, so I think the big key here is information, and then I think the next key is relation. And I think that's why in the information age – see, it used to be none of us had this information, so we didn't – you know, whoever had the information had the advantage. That's why spying was such a big deal because the information gave you the advantage. But today there's a ton of information, and everyone has access to it, including your government and including – you know, your friends know stuff about your kids that you don't know. And so the key then, if it's not about information anymore, then all of a sudden we probably need to make it all about relations. And meaning I've got to know my kid well enough that I am looking him in the eyes. I'm hearing him. I'm I'm talking. I'm understanding him. We have the safety and the trust to have a conversation. And then I think if that's all there, then I think you might you might have some hope of using a tool like this. I don't know. It's a big deal. I also think in the end, it's going to cause other problems. Yeah. I think you're going to lose gonna, the trust of whoever's right. got the app. And again, especially if you're just sitting there at night, every night, yeah. just, oh, I wonder, what's, I wonder what my son's doing. And you're living vicariously through your child. That's well, like you said, pathetic. they're conversations with their friends, and then you have to decode whatever they're saying. And Yeah. But it is interesting, the, the WhatsApp. She said it'll track WhatsApp, which... They have the supposedly self-destructive messages. Yeah, like Snapchat kind of yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, that's great. Cause, but you know what they'll do? Guess where the kids will go? Somewhere else. They'll go somewhere else. Yeah. There's, there's thousands and of I apps guess, that I guess this will probably capture all the, you know, the keystrokes that they're using. Their, I guess their thumb strokes, whatever we're calling it today. Um, just some other rules, though, that I, that I think are probably appropriate. Um, 
just because the child has a phone, there's a million ways to create restrictions on the phone. You can turn off other things that they shouldn't be using. You can get rid of certain web browsers and get other web browsers and put other browsers on that are more that can you know that will protect and and censor certain information from going in. Um, I think too, it's uh, I'd probably be more proactive in having certain conversations. I'd probably talk to my children about sex. I'd I'd have that conversation so they don't need to have it online or find it online. Doesn't mean they won't. But um, I'd also probably go through the news stories a little bit more and share with my children improper use, people that have been abused, people, girl, uh, you know, somebody that got on Craigslist and then had a, was killed or had a problem. I might share these stories that are appropriate as they get older and, uh, and have very real-life conversations. I'd also um, – I'd probably make it a part every day – of making sure my child can get off of the phone. So I'd probably have tech fasts regularly, days where we don't use it, evenings where we turn it off, rules when the phones go off at 8 o'clock. We, we, uh, man, we do everything we can to keep those phones out of our children's rooms. We try to have them keep them downstairs. They fight it every day. I need it for my alarm. <laughs> and I'm like, look, I'm up at 440 in the morning. I'll wake you up. <laughs> I'll wake you up. Um, they're smart kids, and you know what? They're also addicted. <laughs> they're you, getting addicted. You can still buy alarm clocks too, so that those aren't. Oh, really? Yes, I've seen them in the wild. Have you seen them out there? <laughs> so, folks, I mean, the cool thing about technology is it can help you, it can aid you, it can't replace relationships. Just like having Facebook doesn't mean you really are connected profoundly to hundreds of people. Having a program like uh, Teen Safe doesn't mean you're actually safe. They just – there's other stuff going on too. Well, and what do you do with that information? Like if you do find out that something's happening with your child, I mean your relationship with them yeah. and how you're going to address that is going to make the world a difference, you know? Yeah. That you can't just say, oh, you're sexting all right. and just, yeah. and Oh, you're like your father. Yeah, that's just going to ingrain the behavior. <laughs> I know. You, I know. know. And so, you make me sick and we judge them. And so that's a, that's yeah. a huge question or point, James, because all of a sudden too, you're you're – you, but I have it all the time. Clients come in and they, there's something's weird. Something's weird with my kid. What? He doesn't talk to anybody. He goes up in his room. He plays dark music. He da da da. And he gives, they give me a list of stuff, and I'm like, well, it sounds like he's depressed. Is he, you know, is he doing drugs? Is he? I don't know. I don't know. Well, why don't you ask? And uh, well, I did, and I, I said, are you doing that marijuana? And he said, no. Okay. Okay. So, all right. Well, we tried. So, again, this might be a great little tool to get some data, but you're you're going to have to pay for it. You're going to have to pay for it, and you're going to have to deal with it. So, I would suggest too, if you start seeing signs, or if you use a tool like that, and you get signs that there's depression or, or anxiety or ADHD, there's so many things that can be going on. And remember, as these younger children age, their body starts. The chemistry starts to change dramatically, and when the puberty chemistry hits a body, all of a sudden a lot of crazy stuff can happen. So um, get help. Get help. But be informed. Be informed. I mean, oh, it's too much. It costs a lot of energy, hope. It can cost a lot of dreams. It can cost lives if you wait too long to do some of this. So, again, it's confusing. I don't know. We're going to leave that up to you. 
I like the principle behind it. I don't always love the process or the tool behind it, but I like the principle of transparency. I don't think you can go wrong with transparency in your lives and in your family's life. We'll take a break, my friends. Uh, Man, can't believe it. Hour number two in the books. We'll be back. Hour number three right after this break. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Hour number three of the Matt Townsend program. It's about six after. Ah, tons of stuff. Tons of stuff. Hey, uh, you know, sometimes I, I talk about uh, my foot update. A little foot update. How's it going? Still have my feet Perfect. Everything like what? Do you have diabetes? Are your feet bad? Is are you losing circulation? Nope, nope, nope. Sports injury. <laughs> really? Do you play sports, Matt? Are you like a professional athlete? Nope. But I walk. Like that's surprising. You look like a professional athlete. It's amazing, Matt, because you look so. You look like a triathlete, and you have an Ironman watch. Well, that's why I wear it. Because <laughs> everyone thinks, are you a triathlete? Actually, I'm not. I just bought an Ironman watch. You just look like one. You play Target. one on TV. That's exactly right. Uh, foot update. Uh, it's I'm, I'm gaining my uh, foot back. I'm gaining my ability, my use of my foot. My pain is going down. I've had plantar fasciitis for two years. I've tried everything. I've tried everything from liniments. Is that what you're called? Liniments? Is that what it's called? Uh, oils. I've tried... Uh, Flintstone vitamins. You, you ate a lot of those. I ate a lot of Flintstone vitamins. That actually caused a uh, that caused a kidney stone or two. <laughs> but Did what, let me foot. tell you what's hel- helping with my foot. My shoes. Hmm. I just bought new shoes. If you see them, a lot of people. In fact, and I don't know if I've said this on the air yet. I have a lot of women in their sixties with bad feet that are starting to follow me. You're a trendsetter. I'm a trendsetter. That's cool. I, there are, our biggest fan base group, or, you know, the biggest cut out of our fan, if we had to like say, what do they all have in common? 60-year-old women with bad feet. There's a demographic for you. I don't know if that's the radio show fan base. But you can figure it out. I'm wearing these shoes now that have zero lift. Have you heard of these? They're, I'm not going to pitch the brand, but I would and get a ton of free shoes. But they have – so this, the height of the back of the shoe and the front of the shoe, same height. Hmm. A lot of the running shoes have a, a yeah, higher – minimals, they call them. Is that what they're called? Yeah, it's a brand name. I only know one brand, and um, but they look like those Skech, those Skecher shoes. You know those Skecher shoes that um, help build your calves? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I have a, I have a running pair that look like those. And my, my daughter's like, are you kidding? Are you, like, trying to build your calves and your hamstrings? And 
So you got a heel? Is there a heel? There's on no them, heel, or? but they're padded about an inch of padding. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's it's changing because it forces me to not do a heel. I don't hit my heels when I walk or run. Midfoot, right? Midfoot, yeah. midfoot stride. And by the way, it makes me look and walk about twenty years younger. That's what I think. I, I don't, I've never actually watched myself walk. I had some plantar issues, and I used a uh, like a, a twenty ounce soda bottle. Filled yeah, with ice I did and that. you just roll that oh. on the floor for hours? You know what? That hurt. Terry, I invented that idea. Did you really? That's how long I've been at this. Right. I've done everything. But yeah, the, the way it fixed for me, I changed just my fixed. shoes. I stopped shoes. wearing these work boots and that's I was fine. So anyway, that's just my update. And I, I just said that because I'm standing right now. Just wanted to know that. Hey, here's some news. Oh, by the way, I always get hungry in the nine o'clock hour. Don't know why. Well, do you get up at what time? Uh, 440. There you go. That's exactly why. Did you hear what they found? LA health officials are taking action after a local supermarket uh, is selling raccoons. Live raccoons? Whole raccoons. Okay. So Temple City, (laughs) Temple City, CBS LA is the the one who posted this story. But the health department has taken action because a, a woman walks into the store, some grocery store there it's a it's a it's a special foods kind of store and in the frozen section there is a bagged frozen raccoon is it the varmint section is that it's, where yeah it's, <laughs> where's your varmint section for varmints today you know what are we out of raccoons i mean i saw squirrels and rabbits <laughs> i couldn't see any you have, raccoons you have a nice woodchuck back there I don't by know. the way guess what because it, it, it's a delicacy in china but guess how much raccoon sells for? Nine ninety nine a pound. Wow. Nine bucks a pound. Nine bucks a pound. Wow. Believe it or not, tastes like chicken. Of course. Everything tastes like chicken. Why not just buy chicken? You gotta see the video because the video is a raccoon frozen in the fetal position. Oh. <laughs> with its little teeth so, its mouth gaping open, tongue hanging out, frozen solid. You're not you're not <laughs> buying the Ready to cook no. meat. You no, have it's to not prepare it. Hasn't been butchered. You're buying the carcass of a. Yeah. Well, you can make a hat while you're cooking. So, <laughs> hey, can can I keep the tail? <laughs> Mom, I want wow. the tail. I mean, anyway, it's a delicacy in China, apparently, and apparently they're you know they're selling like hotcakes. Roadkill Cafe. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, that's that's the problem. Is where do you get a raccoon? I've only seen them on the road. Right. They don't stop and hang out. Well, you could set traps, I guess, but. Um, the, the lady said that found it, she says the way it's packaged in the store, it's so real and it's so fresh. You don't see chickens with their feathers and blood all over no, them. No, it's, it's ready to go. It's prepared. It's and their butchered. expression and their tongue hanging out. <laughs> anyway, the funny thing about all of this, nobody knows if it's illegal or not. The health department's checking into it because they don't, it all depends on how they've been prepared. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if it's just some guy that grabs a coon. Raccoon. Hey, yeah, I found one coming I into work. Got today. him. I just broke his neck and threw him in the back of the truck. <laughs> and then they freeze him, you know. Wow. That's bad. So, anyway. Do after, they have like pigeons and other animals? Oh, I'm sure they animals? got everything. They got okay. everything. It's, it's a in, in the vermin section. Now, if you're going to go to the the, uh, the avian area, right. it's different. Do you have the flying rat section? Ah, oh, those are great. Those are good stuff. Have you had a, so if it's mm. a delicacy? <laughs> if it's a delicacy somewhere else, does it have to be here? Yes. Because a are, lot of countries eat dog. Yes. And horse. Yeah. But we don't here. And there are laws to oh, keep yeah. us from doing this. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So until we domesticate the raccoon, you can eat it. Okay. 
Which for a lot of people, that's great. It sounds like a Boy Scout camping trip gone bad. No, totally. Does. You know? Like, hey, you guys, let's do let's, this. Let's bag the raccoon. Let's freeze it, and then let's put it in the freezer at the health food store. Right. sell it for nine ninety nine a pound. It's a prank. <laughs> That's kind of true. Hey, did you hear this story about – this is really cool. This is our Valentine's story of the day, one of them. Uh, a woman donated her kidney to a perfect stranger, just a perfect stranger. Mm. Ashley McIntyre donates a kidney to a guy named Danny Rob- Robinson. He needed a kidney. His kidneys were shutting down. He had inflammatory kidney disease. He needed a transplant. None of his family members were a match. He had lost his father to brain cancer in 2012, and their house burnt down on Christmas Day in 2011. His life was falling apart. The boy, the man needed a kidney. Guess what happened? So this girl decided, hey, I've, let's go see. It's just one other thing after another. Let me go see. Ashley went in, found out she was a match. Did all this pre-testing, decided she'd donate a kidney. She already had two. Didn't need another. Guess what? The guy got a kidney transplant. Now they're married. They're getting married. The Danny kidney was more of a match than and Ashley. See, you are going to give your girlfriend, McQueen. 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 You're going to give her. Lightning McQueen. All you're going to give her is a ring. You're just going to give her a ring. Just a cheap, probably $5,000 ring. Just anybody can buy a piece of metal. But true love, James, true love, you give an organ. I'll get down on one knee. I'll have a styrofoam box filled with ice. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Open it up. It says hazardous materials. (laughs) Have a triage team standing by, ready to go. Honey, I want to give you my kidney. I don't need it. I've got two perfect (laughs) kidneys. No. You're missing the point. (laughs) Will you marry me and take my kidney? Anyway, how cool is that? That's incredible. Well, how cool is that, too, to, like, you know, be holding each other, watching a movie, and know that your kidney is in your wife processing her stuff. Wow. It's cool. Yeah. True love. Anyway, something to think about, James. I mean, I know you love uh, McConklevich. I know you love her. (laughs) But if you really loved her... You'd give her an organ, like a kidney, or a spleen. You don't need your spleen. Yeah, but it's you know we don't do do we do spleen transplants? I don't. I know. mean, if we don't need them, we don't. Yeah, do I could give her they my do, appendix. They do face transplants, so that's true. Let's not do that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's called selflessness. And our next guest, Dr. Jane Greer, is going to join us from drjanegreer.com. She's going to be teaching us about uh, selfish lives, how to have. Uh, how to get rid of selfishness in our relationships, how to create a more selfless life with the people we love. And it doesn't always have to start with an organ donation. There's many other ways. We'll find out from Dr. Jane Greer up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody. The Matt Townsend Show. No, I don't want you. If you're going to be all selfish, come on. <sighs> Relationships are hard, my friends, and they're even more difficult when there's selfishness involved. Our next guest is going to help walk through uh, how you you basically stop selfishness from ruining your relationship 
And don't always think the selfish person's your partner. It could very well be you. Dr. Jane Greer is with us, or on the phone actually with us, uh, from New York um, City. She is the New York-based relationship expert and author of What About Me? Stop Selfishness from Ruining Your Relationship. Dr. Greer is the creator of Shrink Wrap with Dr. Jane Greer, a media commentary on what we can learn from the trials and triumphs of celebrity relationships. Dr. Greer, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. You bet. Great to have you on the show. And talk to us. I mean, selfishness, it's interesting. Have you noticed in your profession that the the idea of narcissism, the diagnosis of narcissism, is is one that I almost hear in every couple that I'm that I'm that is struggling with, you know, each other going through that divorce process. I hear that diagnosed everywhere. Is that the same thing as selfish? You know, that's such a great question because it is such a core part of selfishness. Narcissism is all about me. The greatest joke is when you're talking to a narcissist, they say, "All right, enough about me. Let's talk about you." <laughs> What do you think of me? What do you think of me? I want your opinion of me. That's right. <laughs> and that's really what it comes down to, that when you're dealing with selfishness, you're feeling that you don't matter, you don't count. What you want, what you feel is important, your preferences, your inclination, doesn't matter. If your partner doesn't want to go out to dinner, you're not going. If you want to take a vacation, but they want to save money, you're not taking a vacation. If you want to have dinner with your family, but they want to stay home and watch television, you're not having dinner. Mm. It it feels, when you're dealing with selfishness, for so many people, they wind up feeling powerless, that there's no way they can get through to their partner what's important and feel that they're important because their needs are being recognized. Oh, it's such a big deal because when you're starting to feel powerless, then you you are powerless and, and you can't change things and you start just kind of going with the flow. And if the flow is the selfish one, then you will be starved. Exactly right. Because what so many times happens, people meet somebody and they wind up without even realizing it, falling into a role that keeps the balance of power in play, but not in a comfortable place for them. And by that I mean we get givers who wind up with takers, and we get martyrs who wind up with controllers. Hmm. And the people who love to give are phenomenal at finding the person who loves to take. It's true, huh? And so, you know, while giving might be something that you feel good about and enjoy doing, Everybody wants to be given to as well, and what can happen is, without even realizing it, you you fall into a back and forth where you're doing all the giving, where you're the one making all the decisions, or you're the one doing all the hands-on responsibilities around the house, and the other person is just fine with it. And then when you look to kind of call in your chips and say, yeah. all right, what, what about me? There is no me there. <laughs> There's like, all right, well, what's wrong with this equation? This is working for me that's true huh and it's because yeah. and if i don't push back um they don't grow and if well, they don't grow then i can't push back and it, i mean well, it really becomes it's codependent it becomes kind of you're entrenched you're stuck exactly it becomes a catch-22 and here's the deal if you don't push back your partner thinks everything is okie dokie right it's fine it's not a problem if you do push back, you get into what I call the never-ending fight. 
they don't want to hear about it. Yeah. They like the you know the status quo. They like their needs being taken care of and catered to. So they shut you down. You know, oh, you're being you know you're being selfish. You're being so greedy. And for so many people, they have a hard time feeling okay having their needs and expressing their needs. I call it in my book self-ness. That it's very hard for people to have self-ness, a sense of self, a self a sense of self-rightfulness, not mm. righteousness that, yeah. you know, they're right and the other person's wrong, but the right to expect or ask their partner to give to them, to do for them. And so when their partner comes back at them with, you're so greedy, you're so selfish, that can back them off and shut them down for, you know, for months at a time. And they come away thinking, yeah, I'm the selfish person. And so what starts to come into play is this never-ending fight. Occasionally, they'll bring it up, they'll have a fight, their partner will back them off, shut them down, and this fight, this never-ending fight, takes on a life of its own and never gets resolved. So the resentment just builds and builds and builds and builds, yeah. eventually, you know, corrodes the relationship. And, and that's, that, that self, you have to have this independence of self, don't you? That idea that I deserve healthy, I deserve to be loved. I deserve to, this is mutual, that we're both benefiting here instead of, but you're right. It seems like a lot of us have this concept that, well, I don't want to be selfish. So instead I just am always, always giving and you're creating this, that never ending fight. Exactly. And you know what happens, Matt, is a lot of times people's self-esteem and feeling good about themselves comes from what they do and what they give to other people and feeling that they're important and that that other person needs them. So as a result, they're willing to compromise or sacrifice their needs in order to get that hit of feel good that look how important I am, look how much you need me. But inevitably, that is going to become lopsided. You bet. And it's only a matter of time till the other person really, you know, till that that martyr or that giver starts to feel deprived and starts to feel resentful. And it's just a matter of time to, I mean, I hear it all the time. What about me? The title came from what I listened to in my office with couples. Well, what about me? Mm-hmm. You know, you're the one who said we were going to move back when you got the new job, we'd move back here. Or you're the one who said we could start a family after, you know, you got your first raise. And now you're changing that. What about me? And yeah. that's where the game is afoot. Do you see a lot of times in these relationships where um, the, the the selfish one is is usually like maybe better verbally, they're more powerful, and then the the one being taken advantage of is a little more conscientious. So it's almost like the selfish one can say, "Well, oh, oh, you're just going to be selfish," and the, <laughs> and the one that's not even selfish actually, oh, well, you're right. I mean, I guess, yeah, okay, you're right, and it, it's it's their conscientiousness almost is what allows them to keep being taken advantage of. You hit the nail on the head because that is their Achilles heel. That is, you know, the, the, you know, when people say they know how to trigger the other person, that is the trigger. If you make the person who is so diligent and derives so much of their self-worth from how good they are to you, how much they give to you, and you are, you know, being told that you're not giving enough, you're not good enough, that will make you work harder and give more. Yeah, right. You know, it, and, and when, you, when you're dealing with narcissism, as you said at the beginning, 
it's never enough. It's never good enough. So one of the chapters in my book is called, If You Love Me, You Would. And that is an expectation which persists and the bar keeps getting raised and raised and raised. So, for example, if your partner is looking for you to be sexual with them and let's say, you know, your preferences are maybe once a week, once every two weeks, and they want it a little bit more and you meet their need and you go maybe once or twice a week, then it'll be, why isn't it twice, three or four times (laughs) a week? So you, you can never meet the need and satisfy and please them. You will always, because with the narcissist, they always need prove that you love me, prove how important yeah. I am, and that always involves you giving up. Is, oh, see, th- this is, this is the root, isn't it? Uh, Dr. Jane Greer, uh, we're talking with Dr. Jane Greer, the author about What About Me? Stop Selfishness from Ruining Your Relationship. This is the root of so many relationship problems, marital problems, is you have to have the discipline to make it mutually beneficial in in, right. in real life, like in the in the real outcome. Instead of just oh well, of course. I mean, I I provide a live, I provide a house. She's loving it. She's lucky to have me. So instead of it being fake, uh, you know, benefit, it's got to be beneficial for both sides, or it won't grow healthy. It'll grow lopsided. Exactly. And then what happens? You said it. Precisely. And the problem then is, it, it's like a seesaw. Two people are on a seesaw, and, and in order to keep the seesaw moving, one person pushes and the other person lands, and both people do the work so that everybody gets uplifted and feels high. If one person's holding the other one up all the time, yeah. they get the ride, and the other person's just down in the dumps. That's right. And then what happens is, you've got anger. You've got the person who wants more and feels it isn't enough, complaining. You've got the person who's doing all the giving and feeling deprived, getting more and more resentful because, one, they're not getting their own needs met, and two, they're not getting the acknowledgement and appreciation that they're looking for for what they're giving and doing, for all that they're giving and doing, so they're angry and resentful. Mm. And once you have the anger in, the, in play... That's where the, the difficulties come in. That's where I call, you know, the, the selfish hotspots start to explode, and people go after each other uh, with what I call the bat. They they look to club each other with the bat, oh, yeah. the blame, the attack, and the you know triggering the other person to throw them off balance. And then we start and batting each other, know. yeah, yeah, exactly. and triggering and each they, other. They look to club each other whenever they can. It's not me. It's your fault. They blame, they attack, they criticize, you know, they go for the trigger point. Well, you're the one who's greedy, you're the one who's selfish. And the minute that your partner can hit you, can trigger you and hit your Achilles heel, all bets are off. You you, you know, you're going to lose it. You're not going to be able to stay focused on what you do need and what's important because you're going to get caught up in defending yourself. And then I've got you. Now I've got you. Because now I can just say, see, ha, see, now you're out of control. Look, I say one thing and you freak out and you're out of control. Oh, the games we play, my friends. Let's take a break. We're going to come back discuss- discussing selfishness, how to, how to deal with it in your life, how to deal with it in your relationships. Dr. Jane Greer from drjanegreer.com will, will be with us when we come back. More right here on the Matt Townsend Show.
Watch out, the lasers are shooting. Once we start shooting the lasers, it means we're slowly wrapping up the show. Hey, folks, uh, we're on the phone here with Dr. Jane Greer. And uh, Jane is the author, uh, a relationship expert based in New York, author of the book, What About Me? Stop Selfishness from Ruining Your Relationship. She's helping us uh, uncover some tools, some ways to, to approach and understand selfishness and how it might be at the root of a lot of your problems, like those never-ending fights, uh, some of the triggering that you have that goes on in the relationship that causes some of these things. Dr. Jane Greer, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. It's so great to have you. And uh, this topic, I mean, Valentine's Day is coming up, so it'd be, yeah. <laughs> it'd be really easy to get selfish. And again... We do it all the time, and yet the selfish person doesn't usually know they're the selfish person. Right. That's the beauty of it. How do you communicate that to them? Well, that's the point. The more you try to communicate to the other person that they're selfish, the less they're going to hear you. Right. The real key is to switch it to yourself, feeling unhappy, wanting more talking in terms of not what they are doing, i.e. the blame and the criticism, but more in the positive of what you want, what you need, what you feel you're missing out on, you know, to be able to say, look, I'm really happy that you're able to watch television and do the things you enjoy doing, whatever it might be, or that you're able to go out with your friends. That said, it would be so wonderful, and I would feel so cared for as well if, and then you make your request. Mm -hmm. A lot of times... People make demands of the other person, and what I always say, I say play emotional jeopardy. Put it in the form of a request. Don't tell somebody what to do. Ask them if they would be okay doing it, because an emotional jeopardy, if you just make a statement and avoid the question, you lose all your money. Right. And when you're in a relationship and you tell somebody, do this for me or go do that, first reaction you're going to get is, I don't want to. No, don't tell me what to do. Don't control me. And so when you simply make it a request, you usher in the concept of choice. Yes. Ah, you know, could you go to the dry cleaners and get my, my pants for me? Oh, I'd be happy to, because you know what? The bottom line, and this is what's so ironic about relationships, but think about it. You meet somebody, you fall in love with them, you pledge to live happily ever after. And what is the overall arching, arching goal is to please them, to make yeah. them happy. You want to please them. You want to make them happy. And why does that become so daunting? Because they do something that displeases you, makes you unhappy. Then you get angry, and then you're retaliating. No, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I'm no. not going to do that. I could make you happy, but why should I? And so instead of it being, how much can I do to show you I love you and make you happy, it becomes, how much can I do to show you how mad I am at you and how angry I am and how unhappy I am with you and really make you make you feel miserable? Mm. I mean, really, it's, isn't that interesting that if I'm dealing with somebody that's selfish, I, I guess I can follow their lead, get caught up in it, or like you're saying, focus on you, find out what your needs are, make a request versus a demand, which is going to trigger them, or, um, you know, or versus playing petty or versus running away and being part of the martyr kind of syndrome. You're saying if you're going to have to deal with this in our lives, you become that change. You start doing what you need to do to control your side of it so you don't get sucked in. Exactly. You, You put it exactly, succinctly, 
precisely right, that you can't control the other person. It's really taking control for yourself of what you want, what you need, making the request, doing it in a way that's not going to provoke a fight by blaming, put down the bat, as I say, put aside the blame and the attack. I say, play the ace of hearts, the acknowledgement, the consideration, and the empathy. You know, look, I, I acknowledge that I said or did something hurtful. I'm sorry I forgot, you know, to, to follow through on what I said I was going to do. Or I'm sorry that I always leave my dishes in the sink. I can see that's really upsetting to you. And that's the empathy. Yeah. So acknowledge that you've done something that's hurtful to the other person. Consider the impact it has on them. Empathize with their feeling badly. And then speak to, look, you know, here's how I'm going to try and change it. That's the crux of working on a relationship. That's the glue that enables you to go the distance. I love that. I mean, this is such great help, and it's just day-to-day, and it's in every relationship. This could be at your work. This could be with your children that are starting to be uh, more selfish with you as well. We have about one more minute. So give us give us what, what else do we need to know, Dr. Jane? What do we need to know when, you know, we just are tired, we're exhausted, and we're tired of this cycle. Right. And I think the most important thing is if you're tired of the cycle, that's your aha moment that you now are ready and willing to do something differently. And I always say take a minus and turn it into a plus. Mm. That shift gears from talking about what you don't like, what you don't want, what's making you angry and what's making you mad, to talking about what you do like, what you do want, what would make you happier. Instead of telling people what they're doing wrong and staying stuck in the minus column, tell your friends, your loved one, your children, here's what I would really like. This would make me feel good. Because people then know what to do, and it helps you melt away the anger and the resentment. Mm. And, then, and you can feel healthy even when there's dysfunction among you. It's powerful. Uh, appreciate it. Again, drjanegreer.com. That's the website. She's got wonderful resources there, books, uh, videos, other things she's done. And also go check out her book, What About Me? Stop Selfishness from Ruining Your Relationship. And let's make this holiday, Valentine's Day, not just a day for all the merchants. This doesn't have to be the day where everybody makes money and chocolate sales go through the roof. Maybe what we could start to do is make a personal commitment to evaluate if we are the selfish person in our relationship. Man, what would that be like? What if you just offered your partner, your spouse, a a little less selfishness, more of just goodness? Let's start looking out for each other, folks. Good stuff. We're going to take a break. When we come back, our, uh, our brother, what are we calling them? The brother show, not a sister show. The Brothers Show from BYU Sports Nation. We'll be talking to them. Find out what's coming up on their show after this break. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we are going to go down now to Studio B, uh, to, to BYU Sports Nation. Spencer Linton, Jerem Jordan are down there. They don't even know this, but we have a video feed where we watch everything they do as they prep for the show. 
What? Yes. And I thought that was really warm and endearing, Jerem, when you were helping Spencer, uh, you know, primp. I don't what? know what you're talking about. Oh, come on. Oh, we're kidding. We're kidding. <laughs> but we do have a video feed. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, no, you don't. <laughs> we, we actually do. I promise oh, we do. Goodness. We do, but there's a little delay, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I got a question for you guys. <laughs> you, you, heard about, uh, you heard about the great Tiger Woods. Yes. What do you think? What do I think about Tiger Woods? I think it's the right move that he hangs up for a little bit just he, to he's focus got on it. his game. He's got some major issues, and he has for a couple of years. Yeah. I we, think golf is better when Tiger Woods is excelling. Faux show. And so it's, you know, whether you like him or not, when he is playing well, the game just has that added dynamic and it becomes that much more interesting. And so I think Tiger Woods is an essential part to the popularity of golf. So I think officials on the PGA Tour are hoping that uh, he can turn things around in a hurry. I agree. I think that's, I mean, you know, what's funny is as a professional athlete, when you're not performing, they, you, you need to take a break. But, you know, the rest of us, we just keep doing shows. <laughs> You know what's encouraging about Tiger Woods hitting a bad shot, you know, more often than not recently? Yeah, I can do that. It gives us hope. I know. (laughs) I know. It's like, wow, even he has that. He gets the yips every once in a while. That's amazing. So true. true. Hey, what's on your show today, boys? guy named Jay Billis, ESPN College basketball insider and analyst. He's also a lawyer. The Mm. guy was voted one of the top 100 sports follows on all of Twitter by Sports Illustrated. He has almost a million followers. Wow. He's going to tell us BYU's at-large chances, if they have any at all, of getting into the NCAA tournament. Oh, boy. And also why he's so high on Kyle Collinsworth and Tyler Hawes. And so uh, he's making his show debut. Always nice to have a, a prominent ESPN personality on the show. And then we uh, have a BYU quarterback signee who signed eight days ago with the Cougars. Uh, Bo Hodge is his name. Yes. Uh, in high school, he's going to join the Cougars this fall, compete for the backup spot to Taysom Hill. That's going to bring some national exposure. Old daddy boy is going to be watching now very closely. That's right. Merrill Hodge of ESPN as well. All we do is talk to people associated with ESPN. That's all we do. (laughs) It's not a bad gig. That's our business model. All we talk about is you guys. You're the only people we talk to. Did you hear that? Can we talk about the raccoon situation for a moment? Have you ever had raccoon gravy? No. What are you talking about? Frozen raccoons. You've had had that? No. No. You guys, I love when someone asks a question that they haven't. Uh, have you ever had? No, I haven't either. I'm going to. Every day on the show recently, we've been bringing you, you know, we've been talking about food and suckers and stuff. We'll bring you down a raccoon leg. All right. That's all right. So we're still waiting on the, uh, the milk. Coca-Cola milk product. I know. It, we've actually got it. What? I will, I will personally send Sean O'Neill down <laughs> to bring you some Coca-Cola milk. I'm looking forward to it, that. It does a body good. Also, the, the, the Tootsie Pop that apparently takes 1,000, exactly 1,000 exactly. licks to get to the 1,000. By Amazing. the way, the uh, raccoon leg, uh-huh. 1,200 licks to get to the uh, okay. the chocolatey inner core. I will not eat for another 24 hours. <laughs> sorry to ruin your Thank show, you, boys. Thank you, doctor. Okay, anyway. I'm now, I'm now fasting without a purpose. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fasting without a purpose. Oh, good. Glad, glad we could support you that way. Hey, let's, let's let you go. Have fun on your show. And again, remember, you've got to remember, we are always watching you. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll keep that in the back of our Everything. minds. Everything, and you don't Thanks, believe big it, brother. But we are watching. You, you guys are, on are the awesome. second floor, and we're on the first. I know. Take, <laughs> take care, boys. Be good, Thanks, Matt. See ya. Bye bye. Wow, that went weird. <laughs> Those guys are awesome. You know, there's something about the sports that it just makes life so fun because you can just laugh, and it's hard for us because all of a sudden you've got stories of death and people being maimed. 
raccoons being found frozen in the frozen section. Hey, uh, Hall- or Halloween. Halloween's coming. Valentine's Day is, uh, it's, you know, it's coming up, folks. I hope you're prepared. We've been doing research. What, you know, what do you get? What do you get the, the woman you've loved forever? What do you, what do you get the guy that, that just mm, has everything? A Pez dispenser. A, pe- a Pez dispenser. See, I can't do Pez dispensers. We have several here in the studio. But see, doesn't it mess you up? Like, Pez. The candy? Yes. It's as horrible. a child, it's always Boy. been hard. Oops, sorry. As a child, it's always been hard for me. Because I can't eat candy out of the neck of a Disney character. Correct. It's kind of morbid. It's weird. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I feel like it tastes better that way. Yeah. This is Spider-Man. What about that? No. No, you can't do it out of... So I wouldn't do a Pez dispenser. What if you, from the Huffington Post, this is crazy. These are real gifts submitted by readers of the Huffington Post. Now, these are real gifts that what, Terry, that we shouldn't give? Absolutely. These these all ended up badly for whoever decided to gift these. They also show a very lack of preparation, yeah. a lack of thought, a lack yeah. of courtesy for somebody else. Yeah. At this point, if these are any of your options, don't give a gift. So if you were thinking of giving your partner a can of soup, yeah, I wouldn't. They'll throw it at you. They'll, yeah. And if right. yeah, you weapon. do, get a helmet. Um, if you were going to give them a gift card to the restaurant where you work... Dig deeper. That's like me giving my wife the BYU radio app. Right. Hey, look what I got you, babe. You can listen to me. Love you. Every morning, 7 a.m. Well, the, the woman that put that, I guess, uh, submitted that post also talked about how you give me a gift card to where I work. I know how dirty the kitchen yeah. is. Why are we going to eat oh, there? That's disgusting. <laughs> I would never eat there. That place is disgusting. How about tickets to an NBA game? Oh, this is so sad. Oh, this is so petty. Don't ever do this. This is a guy that gave tickets to an NBA game with his wife. His seat was in the first three rows. Her seat was up in the rafters. What? That No way. <laughs> oh, that is so sad. By the way, that's where she found her new boyfriend. Absolutely. <laughs> Isn't that sad? A Valentine's Day card with my name spelled wrong after five years. Oh. How do you spell McQuaid? McQuaid? Yeah. Your, uh, your girlfriend's It's name. phonetic. It's, so you can just spell it out. It's phonetic. Okay. Well, with an R. Yeah. Spell it with an R. Silent but, X too. But, but, but there is a capital Q in there. Yeah. Don't forget the capital Q. Capital M C. Capital Q. X. Here, here's another one. One Valentine's Day, my ex gave me a picture of himself. I'm not really into the whole Valentine's Day gift thing. Sure, it's nice to get something, but it's no big deal. But he told me I feel like getting you. I I, I didn't feel like getting you anything, and then I felt sorry because you you know. I felt bad, so I grabbed a picture of myself and gave me that present. It was just rude. That's weird. What? Yeah. People are weird. Here's a picture of me. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> I thought you'd want I thought you'd want me. He gave her a picture frame. That's basically, that's basically what he what got he there. And that's yeah. a bad gift. I had a I had a friend once though that did bring me by the way, it's the day I passed a kidney stone. Oh, okay. It was my 40th birthday. Did you keep it? Oh, yeah. I named it. Nice. His name is Chip. Made a ring. It's cute a center stone. <laughs> it's Chip. cute. He's a chip off the old block. Um, uh, cute guy, though. And th- my friend brought me that day a- an autographed picture of himself framed. He's trying to cheer you up. That's but, cool. But it's one of those things where mm, he doesn't, you know, he's not famous. Right. 
He's really? just, you know, he's just kind of like a, a sales guy in the neighborhood. <laughs> but it's still, it's still on my mantle. Okay. It's weird. They're gifts. Gifts. Gifts that keep giving because I see it every day. My ex-wife gave me a barbecue skewer set, then proceeded to tell me she invited 20 friends and family over for the barbecue skewers I'd be cooking. <laughs> That's rude. So here you're going to cook. Uh, how about uh, number nine? An exploding Death Star toy from a Taco Bell kids meal on Valentine's. Look what I found. <laughs> I thought you'd love it. Oh, how, oh man! Hey, babe, this, I got you a fire extinguisher. You ought to get, yeah, you ought to get McClintock a fire extinguisher. I think it'd be good. And I could say you're too hot for your own good, so I got you this as a gag gift. That may work. Yeah, yeah. But you'd have to follow it up with something. Real. Yeah, you have yeah. to write the card. Yeah. Hey, you're so hot. I wanted to extinguish you. <laughs> yeah. See, that didn't sound as good. No, no, no it didn't. Working title. Yeah, working title. We'll work on that. Okay. Uh, 75 cent bath foam with the price tag still on it from the bargain store. Yeah. Well, this person says, sadly, the divorce cost a bit more. <laughs> oh. A Pez dispenser. Somebody did do that, huh? Yeah. That's a last minute gift. I think you just got that at the, you know. Supermarket the, checkout. The gas station. Right. Uh, I'd have to say, I'd have to say the 50 inch TV he bought me, wait for it himself. Oh, but you'll use it too. I'm sure he, he, he bought a TV really for him. It's for us. Yeah. But you have to make that argument. He's the only one that uses it. Well, yeah. Details. So sad. It was the thought that counted, right? That's what they say. Yeah. No, it no. usually it isn't the thought. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, it's, it's more than that. Right. In the end, it's the lack of thought that counts as well. It's, it's like lack of thought. Like buying your wife a vacuum. What do you mean? It's implying here's your work, here's what you're going to go do, so you vacuum. Be it's careful because my mom was a vacuum sales person. Well, I know, but it's not a So gift. she thought it was the greatest gift ever because she'd oh, make a commission. Absolutely. <laughs> it's true. You can't, you can't do that. My wife once bought me a nose hair clipper what's she trying to say i have no idea all right this is <laughs> why are you all looking at my nose <laughs> well i mean you know just making sure you use it. i mean try to you know what try to, to be more discreet if you're going to look at my nose try to pretend like you're not looking at my nose um what else what worst worst gift you've ever received well i, I really like gag gifts there was a gift that just this last christmas it was a a hot dog toaster it had two places for hot dogs and two places for buns. I've seen that. That's weird. All right. Oh, it's so good. I, mean, I guess that's good if you're like a bachelor. Yeah. Yeah. Or so really good. into hot dogs. And yeah. You know, we would- we, You have I, that you know, afternoon craving. Yeah. That's right. You, you need a hot dog right now. Like it's no big deal. And you have hot dogs and buns just sitting around. Yeah. Um, how about you, Terry? Worst gift ever? I don't know. I don't really remember the worst gifts because you just, you go, oh, this is great. And then you just forget about it. I have a pedometer I've never opened. Really? Yeah. My, my sister gave it to me about five you years ago. You don't count your I have steps, on my, your I have mileage? A, well, now I have a, a step counter on my yeah. phone, so I don't need one. Yeah, but before, kind of I was like, yeah, I don't really need to count my, as you said, mileage, but yeah. it's there. Worst gift I ever gave, uh, fire, uh, fire alarm. Okay. That's pretty... For the kitchen, for my wife. <laughs> it's subtle. But then you could counsel the situation afterwards, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. We so had counseling. a lot of counseling on that one. <laughs> That's the show, my friends. Thanks for being with us. Uh, we're going to end with a quote uh, again. Remember, from Abe Lincoln, it is his birthday today. Malice towards none, charity towards all. 
Let's try that one out today. Thanks for joining us. Remember, we couldn't do the show without you, and we hope we're helping you see the good in the world. There is a lot of stuff we need to learn, a lot of stuff we need to do, and yet in the end, it's also going to be the relationships that will make it work, that will make the connections matter. Thanks for joining us again tomorrow. More fun, more uh, interesting news right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.